Nick DeGilio on 720 WGN. We're live in the Skyline studio here until 4 uh, a.m. Sunday night into Monday morning. Monday morning means my dad calls in and tells a joke because it's a jokey, jokey, jokey time. Uh, we play black, uh, back classic Johnny Carson uh, clips on the show. It's so much fun. You can watch the Johnny Carson show on Antenna TV every night. And uh, we're going to play back some stand-up from our good friend Rich Scheidner. Um, who is a, a really terrific guy. I've been on the show several times and, uh, and, a, and a good buddy and very, very funny. And so we're going to play back some Rich uh, Scheidner stand-up from Johnny Carson. Uh, 312-981-7200. That's our phone number if you would like to join us. Um, so we lost Regis Philbin um, over the weekend and uh, also actor John Saxon who was one of my personal favorites. They both passed away over the weekend. We'll talk a little bit about them and play some uh, great Regis uh, clips. He was a legend. Just a legend. So um, we're going to talk about that. Uh, there's a rare Area 51 photos that are showing that hangar has disappeared. Some weird stuff going on there. So we're going to talk about some of the most mysterious places in the U.S. and some of the weirder places that maybe you've visited. Um, um, there is a man who is re- receiving rubber ducks from a non-resender. What, is, what does that mean, Tom? There's a guy who's just getting anonymously, they, they keep sending him rubber ducks? Uh, yes, a man in the United Kingdom is constantly receiving rubber ducks via Amazon. And while Amazon <laughs> Amazon knows the identity of the sender, they have to know the identity of the sender, they are not able to tell him who it is. You got to be kidding me. Dead serious. 100%. Can't make it up. That's ridiculous. Well, we'll talk a little bit about that. Um, and then uh, real lawsuits that sound like madness and uh, big company blunders. <laughs> the guy, poor guy just keeps getting rubber ducks. Uh, is his name Ernie? Because <laughs> he'd enjoy it if his name was Ernie. All right. Um, 312-981-7200. Uh, my first guest has written a novel uh, called The Living Dead, which has been co-written, um, which he co-wrote with George A. Romero, who obviously, you know, invented the modern zombie with Night of the Living Dead and those, uh, the other films. But this is a novel, and uh, and his name is Daniel Krauss. And uh, Daniel, hi. Hey, what's up? Hey, it's, it's great to have you on. Uh, congratulations on the, on, on the completion of the novel. Hey, thanks a lot. How did this, uh, how did this all come together? Well, you know, George directed six zombie films, but um, if you know anything about George Romero, you know that uh, he spent a long career having his budget slashed and the scripts go unmade, 
So it didn't seem to matter that he was a, uh, a legend in filmmaking, and certainly one of the greatest horror directors of all time. But he, he, you know, started to, I think, pretty early on, have some, suffer some doldrums with the, uh, the Hollywood film industry and started working on this novel uh, that was set in his zombie universe um, but would allow him to do all the things, big and small, that uh, producers wouldn't ever let him have the uh, canvas on which to do. So I think about 10 or 12 years ago, maybe, he started working on and off of this novel. And then in 2017, unfortunately, he died, and he left it unfinished. So that's when I get the call out of the blue from his manager and wife about a month after he died, saying they had this, you know, this portion of an epic zombie manuscript, and would I be interested in finishing it? Having grown up a huge, huge Romero fan, I, of course, said yes. Oh, well, congratulations, man. That's, that must have been really something to get a phone call like that. Yeah, it, it really was because I, Romero movies to me were like Star Wars to other kids, you know? Like, I really grew up uh, on <laughs> on Romero. Yeah. Uh, I saw Night Living Dead when I was five or six years old, which seems crazy young. Uh, my mom was a big fan of that and Twilight Zone. So I really, uh, my formative years were spent on George Romero and Twilight Zone. Um, and, you know, his his films just were with me at every stage of growing up. And they became, a, they, they were always sort of a guiding light. Yeah, I feel the same way. Uh, you and I have that in common. I grew up on him as well. I've been a horror fan my entire life. Uh, what is it about uh, you being, why are we so drawn to stories about monsters? What do you think that is? Well, I mean, it, I think it depends on who you are, what, what it affects, monsters affect you differently. I think for some of us, uh, certainly me, there's, you, there's an identification that you feel um, drawn to the monster, not as a, a uh, negative force, but uh, a positive one, one that you can sort of get behind. Uh, I think uh, there's a common sense that the monster is, you know, the most classic example of the other. And so if you're, if you're someone who feels in any way outcast or uh, separated from your peers, I think it's very common for those type of people to gravitate towards monsters. In my case, I always felt a lot of sympathy for the monsters, um, whether you're talking about Dracula or Frankenstein or my personal favorite creature from Black Lagoon. Uh, you're, you're talking about creatures that are set off from society, you know, and there's something very lonely about them. Um, so I think it's easy for an outcast or someone who considers at least in some way feels themselves to be an outcast. It's easy to be attracted by monsters. Yeah, in in, in every form too. I mean, uh, and I and I love um, I love reading books ab- uh, um, uh, about monsters. And uh, and I'm uh, uh, I want to talk to you a little bit more about that, Daniel. Hang on, okay? Sure. All right, Daniel Krause is with us. He is the co-author of the novel The Living Dead, which was co-written by uh, George Romero. Um, and so we'll talk about the novel and the book and all that, all that great stuff. Uh, 
Nick DeGelio here on 720 WGN. Um, we're live in the Skyline studio. My guest is um, Daniel Krauss, who is the co-author of the novel The Living Dead, which um, was originally started uh, by uh, George A. Romero. Uh, and then after he passed away, Daniel was asked to uh, to finish it. Um, uh, Daniel? Um what authors? What other authors did you look for uh, for inspiration while writing? Well, I don't know that I looked towards any other authors. Um, you know, this is my tenth book, and I think generally uh, I don't. You know, I'm to the point where I don't necessarily find inspiration in that sort of direct way. Mm-hmm. I think uh, it comes in more indirectly now. I sort of have. Uh, uh, any project I'm working on constantly, there's like a sieve in my brain. So any any news events that happen, people I talk to, uh, it catches little nuggets and sh- certainly affects the writing. But I don't I don't know that. I mean, the only real artist that w- I was focused on was really George Amiro. Mm-hmm. You know, so it was the inspiration that I drew was um, heavily involved with the research required to pull together the second you know, the second half of a book from a co-author who wasn't there anymore. So, so I did a lot of, I, I certainly dug for a lot of inspiration, but it was, you know, almost entirely from George. It's uh it's gotta be kind of an interesting challenge to pick up um, and, and write a book that's about, you know, how, how far, how far along was it when you, when you actually jumped in? Um, well, it's not a straightforward question because, once we had all the materials that he had left behind, uh, I would say that he wrote the, the actual prose of maybe one third of the book, but he had also had notes uh, giving uh, structure or telling telling us what was going to happen with some of the characters. So all told, you know, with the notes, I'd, I'd credit him for just about half of the book. Um, but, um, yeah, I would say writing wise about a third. Okay. But, but, he, but the, the catch is it wasn't the first third. Uh, it was, it would have been a lot easier if it was. Oh, really? But, but it was, uh, spread across the book. So he had, he wrote stuff that belonged in the, uh, at the start, at the end, in the middle. Uh, so that one of the nice things, the benefit of that is that you have George present throughout the whole book. Uh, the difficulty of that is that essentially I had all these islands that I had to build bridges between, and that's much more difficult. And occasionally those bridges were quite long and um, complicated. Wow, that sounds like a real challenge. How long did how long did it take you to finish it? I think uh, for the first draft, maybe a year, maybe for if you add another draft in, then maybe a year and a half, which is long for me. Yeah, but it's a long book. Yeah, it is a big book. There's no question about it. It, <laughs> it really is. Um, and do you, do you, do you, uh, um, do you think it's kind of weird now releasing a zombie book during a pandemic or does that help? Uh, well, I don't think it helps. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it certainly, uh, feels, more timely in some ways because you know the, the zombie epidemic was referred to as that uh, so to suddenly be within a pandemic that's that's certainly something and it's something people talk about in regards to the book 
But no, I don't think book selling has gotten, in general, any way easier uh, during the pandemic. It's certainly gotten more difficult. Yeah, yeah. Uh, what do you, you said you have? Uh, you've written uh, ten books. Tell us a little bit more about some of those. Oh well, I mean they they're all over the place. Really, I write for uh, adults and teens and kids. Uh, so there's a little bit of everything in there. Uh, I'm probably best known for my two books that I wrote with Guillermo del Toro, um, Troll Hunters, which uh, probably better known for the Netflix adaptation of it, and The Shape of Water, which is a book that Guillermo and I wrote based on the same idea that he and I came up with for the uh, movie. Mm. Okay. Uh, do you, do you, how is it working with him? Uh, it's good. You know, he's a, he's a real generous collaborator. You know, I think he picks his collaborators carefully and then gives them, you know, a lot of latitude, uh, a fair amount of trust. It's interesting comparing uh, that those collaborations with the Romero collaboration, where on the one hand, uh, you know, George Romero isn't here, so you kind of feel like, well, you would have, you don't have to worry about that anymore, right? You don't need to worry about your co-author trusting you. Uh, but it was, of course, it felt like the opposite. It felt like uh, because he wasn't there, I had to be all the more careful to honor what I did have from him and uh, what I needed to honor as far as um, his his body of work and his point of views and, you know, uh, what he thought about this and that and everything, all, all things that I learned from reading about him, studying him, and uh, talking to his wife and family. How did, uh, how, did how does the family uh, l- l- like the book? They were happy with what you did? Yeah. I mean, primarily I um, I communicate with his wife, Suze, Suzanne, and, yeah, she she loves the book. And in some ways, I'm not a, you know, a big reader of reviews, uh, but her review was really the one I was most nervous about. Because she was there while George was writing uh, the book, um, and she knew all about it, had read sections before, um, and you know she loved it. I think I feel weird saying it because it feels personal, but you know, as soon as she finished it, and you know, she sent me a text saying, "I don't think anyone in the world could have done this as well as you," um, and that you know was a, a wonderful emotional thing for me to hear. Yeah, that's got to be amazing. It's got to be. How did you get into writing? Well, I started writing as a, you know, just a little wee tyke, you know, and like uh, kindergarten, first grade. I don't remember exactly, but uh, a friend of mine um, who lived in my neighborhood, we lived in a small town in Iowa. Uh, we drew monsters. So he had a folder of various monsters that he drew, and I had my folder. And I think we started dr- uh, writing stories because we wanted something to do with those monsters. So we had, we had like a cast of characters, but they didn't do anything. So we uh, started writing stories that involved this monster versus that monster. And they were just, just kind of Godzilla battle type things. Um, and then that evolved. And, you know, my friends uh, eventually lost interest, but I kept going and started writing uh, stories that had actual human beings in it. And certainly by, Certainly by middle school, I was writing at least novella-length manuscripts, and by high school, full novel wow. manuscripts. Wow. That's, yeah, uh, I, was really, I was really into it. It sounds like, <laughs> it, sounds like it. 
Yeah. Are you working on something now? I mean, obviously, you know, we're talking about this book that you uh, mm-hmm. uh, worked with uh, George Romero on, uh, in a sense, but are you working on anything else? Because it sounds like you're prolific. Yeah. Uh, I've had a, a really wild year. Uh, I Typically, in a normal year, you'd have maybe a book come out. Maybe. I've had five come out Jeez. in 12 months, which is something that will never, thank, I mean, pray to God, will never happen again. Uh, it was a one of those weird confluences of uh, events where I had five projects that were all extremely different from one another for different audiences, totally. So they could they just stacked up in a weird kind of way. So uh, yeah, it's, I'm working on a lot that I still you know I've already written them, but the next thing out is uh, in September. I have a book for kids, although it is again a very creepy book called uh, They Threw Us Away, which is um, the start of a trilogy called the Teddy's Trilogy, which is actually about teddy bears, uh, but uh, my version of a teddy bear story, which is quite harrowing. Uh-huh. Uh, <laughs> so it's it's already in your mind. It's already a, it's already a trilogy. Yes. I mean, that, that's how I sold it, you know, uh, sold it as a trilogy. So um, first book comes out in September. And then the second book will come out a year from that and so forth. Okay. All right. Sounds like you're busy. Is there a website that uh, folks can check out? There is. I do have a website. It is danielkraus.com. That's K-R-A-U-S. And that has all the scoop on all these various projects. Yep. Man, sounds like you're uh, you're quite the busy guy. I'll tell you that. Well- yeah. Yeah. But my heart, you know, my heart is mostly with... Uh, the Living Dead more than any other book I've done. And I think it's because it's, you know, it's written. Someone else's legacy is at stake here. Yeah. Uh, and so that's, it's it's a book that I am um, proud of, but, you know, also, you know, very cognizant of the the weight that it has to carry, since it is the end of his zombie saga, really. Yeah. Yeah, it really is. Well, boy, congratulations, son. And I'm, you know, I mean, I, you know, I think George Romero is one of the greatest voices uh, ever. Um, yeah, not yeah. just not just in film, but and an, anywhere. Um, yeah, me too, me too. And uh, and I've I've been an admirer of his, and I, and I actually you know I met him several times, and he couldn't have been a nicer guy. Uh, oh yeah, and uh, well, just, you, 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 well, just to add one thing. One thing his uh, wife showed me was this notebook where he would practice because you know he was he was getting old. His his hand was uh, shaky. Yeah, and he would practice uh, signing his name over and over before or like. Comp- conventions and stuff yeah uh, because you really wanted to make sure that all the fans got a good looking signature uh and just a page just seeing these pages full of his signature was was really moving actually yeah. uh to see how much he he really you know he was a, a really nice guy and cared about his fans yeah yeah he was a lovely man no question about it and he always he always signed stay scared yep that yep. was that yeah, was that's a <laughs> that's i you know i in the author's note of this book we uh, we or i sign off the same way yeah yeah okay uh listen uh congratulations on the book um D- uh, daniel and uh and i really uh I'm, I'm very happy that it was able to be finished and that it's 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 got to see the light of day and we get more you know more george romero yeah well there's certainly you know unmade lots and lots of unmade unmade uh, scripts that he wrote so it's always possible okay that's great listen daniel thanks so much congratulations on the book 
Hey, thanks so much, Nick. Okay, man. Daniel Krauss uh, is the co-author, along with the great George A. Romero, the late great George A. Romero, of uh, this big novel called The Living Dead. And it's out there now. You can pick it up. It's a terrific book. Nick DiGilio here on 720 WGN, uh, live in the uh, Skyline studio. We're here until uh, 4 o'clock. Uh, Walter Jacobson's Perspective is coming up in just a few minutes as well. We always play that on Sunday night into Monday morning. My dad's going to call in and tell a joke because it's a jokey, jokey, jokey time. Classic Johnny Carson clips that we always play back. Either it's, a, you know, we'll play a, like a sketch or an interview or some stand-up. And in this case, uh, our good friend Rich Scheidner is going to uh, do a little stand-up from uh, from his visits uh, to The Tonight Show. Um, we're also going to talk about some of the most mysterious places in the U.S. And what are some of the weirdest places that you've ever visited? Weird. <laughs> 312-981-7200 is the phone number um, here on WGN. So um, Regis Philbin passed away um, over the weekend. He was 88 years old. Um, I love, I love Regis, love him. He was hilarious and he was great at what he did. Um, and I just, I've always, always been a huge fan of Regis Philbin. Uh, Regis Philbin, the talk and game show host who regaled America over morning coffee with Kathy Lee Gifford and Kelly Ripa for decades and who made television history in 1999 by introducing the runaway hit, Who Wants to Be a Millionaire? Died on Friday night. He was 88. His death was announced by his family in a statement. The statement did not say where he died or specify the cause. In a world of annoyances, Mr. Philbin was the indignant everyman under siege from all sides. By the damned computers, the horrible traffic, the inconsiderate people who were always late. There was no soap in the men's room hailing a cab was hopeless, losing a wallet and a rental car, forget about it. Even his own family was down on him for buying a chainsaw. (laughs) And it was possible, he wondered, to ask ever so softly in a crowded pharmacy uh, where to find the fleet enemas without a clerk practically shouting, What do you want, buddy, a fleet enema? (laughs) Aggravation is an art form in his hands, wrote Bill Zemi, uh, the co-author of two Philbin memoirs. Annoyance stokes him, sends him forth, gives him purpose. Ruffled, he becomes electric, full of play and possibility. There is magnificence in every irritation. So he was Joey Bishop's sidekick for a while. He's God, he was in the business for, is he in the business for over, what, he's got to be like 60 years, right? Um, and I think most people, you know, a younger generation would, would remember him from millionaire. That would be, you know, the first place that probably a younger generation would have seen him. Um, he was a legend, man. He was just a legend. Um, I just, I, I also love him in the episode of, uh, 
uh, my, it's my favorite episode of Steinfeld. He's in he's in the episode the opposite where George George decides that every instinct that he has is wrong, so he decides that he's going to do the opposite, and his life becomes great. That's when he gets the job with the Yankees. That's when he. <laughs> um, so. Uh, but that's that's where uh, Kramer had his coffee table book. And he was on Regis and Kathy Lee. So it's like Kramer's Kramer's um, Kramer's <laughs> visit to Regis and Kathy Lee uh, is is fantastic. Uh, well, uh, I'll tell you, uh, Regis. Uh, actually, this is a true story. I um, I was skiing at the time. You know, when I'm skiing, yeah. Kramer, I'm trying not to kill myself. <laughs> You're writing books. Yeah. Well, now, you kids, don't go out and try that. <laughs> you stay in school. Have you always had an interest in coffee tables? Because, really, I, I love coffee tables. Oh. And, I, and I thought I was the only one. See, the beauty of my book is, if you don't have a coffee table, it turns into a coffee table. <laughs> fantastic i'm telling you this guy's a little bonkers <laughs> so um we have an interview right that dean richards did do we know when this was so this was recorded in 2011 around the time that uh philbin's he retired from regis and kelly all uh, right uh, and the publication of his book how it, how i got this way so he was doing a little bit. So the book, the book is how I got this way. Yeah. So this and is he had around. just left the morning show, and then uh, Rion Seacrest <laughs> took over. I thought it was Michael Strahan first. Oh, it was Michael Strahan, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. But now it's Rion Seacrest, right? I believe so. It's been a while since I've watched. Yeah. Well, it's not. Uh, yeah, because it's Kelly. It's Kelly Ripa, right? Yeah. Yeah. Now it's Kelly Ripa. So it's um yeah it's her and uh, Rion Seacrest right. <laughs> By the way, that's the way that uh, the substitute teacher in the Key and Peel sketch says Ryan Seacrest. <laughs> uh, let's 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 hear this, okay? This is a, an interview that uh, Dean Richards did back in 2011 with the late great Regis Philbin. I used to be the entertainment guy at uh, KABC out in Hollywood, and. Um what I would do, because I met everybody on the Joey Bishop show, you know, all the actors, sure. actresses, I would go to any event party, just go there with a camera and a microphone and, and do a little thing. And it was a big hit on the 11 o'clock news every night. People love it. And then I would review a movie on the 6. Yeah. But I enjoyed it very much, and, uh, and that's what you're doing, but early in the morning. How did you keep that schedule back then? Because that's, that's then the be, toughest part of my day. But let me tell you something. I wanted to do the talk show, because that's how I started, but... It's a long story. It's all in the book, as they say. And um, I uh, finally undertook a talk show there on the station where the guy left. General manager said, no, the ratings are up since you joined with this entertainment news. Right. So I'm not, I can't let you off the 6 or the 11. Right. I said, I'll do the 9 a.m. thing, too. It was a 90-minute show. And I took it. It was like a 17-hour day. But I wanted to prove to him that the show was going to be good, and it turned out to be a big hitter in the ratings. I went back to him after a year and said, you win, I lose. I can't do 17 hours. And so uh, he took me off the 11 o'clock. 
So what are you you telling my boss that I should I'm work? I'm telling you that I Dean is tired less. of this stuff early in the morning. We work less and get paid more <laughs> from, from the mouth on, of Regis Philbin. You're on five hours. Do yep. you have a fresh report every hour? We have a fresh report every other hour. So you skip an hour and then you go back to it. And we repeat it, we rewrite it, we yeah. change it up well, a little bit. We, you know, when we, when we use this tomorrow morning, for example, yeah. you know, you'll it'll be certain bites will be in certain hours and we'll be repeating. Yeah, that's what. Good but way not to do not it. for a few hours. Though. Well, let me It'd tell you something. Hours. Entertainment news has become uh, in this generation really the big the big news of their lives. You know, these kids all they care about is that. And so it's become vital to the news to carry it. It's it's uh, so. It, what what, it's what did you want to talk to me about? Let's go. Let's cover We've it talked, right now. Thomas Sulo talked to you. Thomas Sulo in New York. Yeah. We did a satellite interview last week. Honestly, today I just wanted to come and say hello to you. I got nothing else to say to you to tell you the truth, Rita. No t- questions to ask. Honestly, we we've well we've talked about the book. Let me ask you something. You're interviewing me. Did you read the book? I did read the book. Attaboy, that's I read good. the book, and you know what? I read it in about two hours. Yeah. It's fun. It's quick. Yeah, it's it's it it's just it's it's one of the most delightful books that I've read this year. I swear I'm not saying it oh, I just because I really love it. I appreciate it. that, Dean. But the only reason I'm asking you that is because you weren't here, and this college student, we're in a college here, rolled her camera, and I thought it was WGN. <laughs> and I said to this young student, I said, now, did you read the book? She said, no, I didn't. <laughs> So I thought, well, maybe That's I'll try this out a professional. Did you hear what he said, everybody? That's why you thought I it read was it WGN. Two hours and I got through Somebody it. came in completely unprepared. That's why you thought it was WGN. No, That's don't a- say that. Don't say it. that, Dean. Dean. <laughs> Boy, Dean's interviewed so many people, hasn't he? Tons. Man, oh, man. I like that he, you know, what's up, friend? Said, yeah, I know we already talked. Tomasulo talked to you. I just want to hang out. You just want to hang out with Regis. Yeah. Well, who who wouldn't want to hang out with Regis? I don't know. You know what I mean? He seems like the he seemed like the nicest man. Three one two nine eight one seven two hundred. If you have any Regis memories, if they're Regis highlights. Well, I mean, you got to talk about. I remember watching him on Millionaire. Just please. I well, I had no idea who he was. I was like, I don't know why this guy is hosting it. I'm seven years old. Yeah. I don't know. You know, this he's just the host of Millionaire. That's all he is. I, I remember clearly the summer of 1999 when Millionaire hit. You know, it was on like four nights a week. Ratings were through the roof. And it became a complete, as you know, became a complete sensation. And Regis was great on that show. Who who doesn't use the line, is that your final answer? Is that answer? your final answer? Is that your final answer? <laughs> um, but you know what a career though in the business for such a long time yeah Joey Bishop's sidekick in 1967 yeah 1967 and he only retired in 2011 yeah and he was still seen sure you know what I mean sure 312-981-7200 we are remembering Regis Philbin um, and if you uh, have any favorite uh, Regis memories or moments we would love to hear from you at 312-981-7200. And uh, we'll get back to that. But right now, our good old buddy, Walter uh, Walter Jacobson, he has a perspective. We always like to play it back. And uh, this perspective is sponsored by HearingHealthCenter.com. Here's Walter. So will they or won't they, those federal prosecutors, catch the biggest fish in Illinois since Rod Blagojevich? 
they are trolling for Mike Madigan, Speaker of the Illinois House of Representatives, Chairman of the Illinois Democratic Party, owner, producer, director of Illinois government, a truly heavy, heavyweight in Illinois politics. For a long, long time, federal prosecutors have been fishing for Mike Madigan, who's been Speaker for a long, longer time than any Speaker of any house of any state at any time in the history of the United States. Those ever-persistent prosecutors are telling us they have evidence that Wheeler Dealer Speaker Madigan is the Illinois king of corruption, who in the past 10 years has taken a million dollars worth of favors from the Commonwealth Edison Company in exchange for giving ComEd more than $100 million worth of favors by the Illinois General Assembly. There is no doubt the prosecutors believe that. Their problem will be proving it. At long last for them to catch Big Fish Madigan, they'll have to convince a grand jury to indict him and then a criminal court jury to convict him of soliciting or accepting a bribe. That will not be easy because Mike Madigan is whip smart, a very careful, hugely popular Southwest Side politician who does good things, not only for his working class neighbors, but for the working class all across Illinois. Really. Can those prosecutors reel him in? I wouldn't bet on it. I'm Walter Jacobson, and that's my perspective. For more, visit WTNRadio.com or download the WTN Radio app. Hello, Nick DeGilio here on 720 WGN. Um, we uh, have some uh, rare Area 51 photos that we're going to talk about. And uh, the Pentagon has off-world vehicles not made on this earth. And uh, mysterious places in the U.S. And what are some of the weirdest places that you've ever been? 312-981-7200. So um, my, my dad's going to call in and tell a joke later on. So we're talking about Regis, uh, Regis Philbin, you know, who was just a legend and um, had such a long, really great career. And he was funny, just so funny. Um, and it was just so insane uh, to how big Millionaire was. I mean, if, if people don't remember, when it debuted in 1999, I mean, it just went through the roof. And it brought a whole new audience to Regis. And he was so good on it. He was great on it. Um, so, uh, you know, and you know, who, you know who does a, you know, who does a killer Regis? Uh, Daryl Hammond. Oh, he does a good Regis. He does a great Regis. And you know what was really crazy is that when I found out that Regis passed away, uh, I about an hour and a half later, I turned on a rerun of SNL, and there was uh, Daryl Hammond doing Regis uh, with uh, Amy Poehler as um, Kelly. <laughs> 
So, um, well, yeah, well, Daryl Hammond, though, is a great, I mean, he's a great impressionist anyway. He does a million great impressions. So, but Regis was a, Regis was a, was a, was a fun guy to impersonate, I think. I think you have a good time if you're doing a, if you're doing an imitation of Regis. You know? Get this. So, uh, if you want to, if you want to hear the peak of Millionaire in terms of television ratings, just sheer television. Oh, here we I mean, go. Let's, let's turn back the clock 20 years here. Yeah, 1999 is when it debuted. Yeah. Well, this, this is going to be the peak. So May 2nd, 2000. May 2nd, 2000 was the absolute top of the top of the peak. Scored a 12.41. <laughs> Unheard of. Isn't that crazy? 35.6 million people watching Who Wants to Be a Millionaire. Isn't that nuts, man? A trivia, like a trivia game. Yeah, it's, it's so simple in its in its concept. Yeah, and execution. It's you don't even have to answer in the form of a question, like on Jeopardy. Yeah, you get to you just get multiple choice answers. Mm-hmm. Got your lifelines. You got your lifelines. Think about that. How how much do people like say that? It's like, yeah, can I use a lifeline here? Yeah, fifty fifty. Phone a friend. Phone a friend. Um, ask the audience. Ask the audience. Right? Which you, can't, the, you, you can never trust the audience. I never trusted them, even when they were right. When they poll the audience, like yeah. 70% said this or whatever. <laughs> That's still on, right? Who wants to be a millionaire? Yeah. I believe so. It's on daytime, right? Yeah. I, well, they did. Jimmy Kimmel did his revival of oh, the celebrity right. one. Yeah, which was fun. Which was, which was nice and fun, and yeah. he's a great choice for that. But you can't beat Philbin. Oh, no. No, 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 no. There's nobody, you know, I mean, there, we've been through a bunch of hosts for Millionaire. Nobody even comes close to Reach. Didn't Meredith Vieira do it for a, a little Yeah, while? yeah. Wow, I, Meredith, I, I, come I got, on. I got a crush on her. You've got a crush on Meredith yes, Vieira? Yes, I do. Yes, I do. Always have. Any, any particular reason why? I just think she's cool and she's pretty and she's smart. Okay. Um, yeah, I've always had a crush on Meredith Vieira. So, I know it's kind of unusual, but that's fine. You're you're entitled to that. So, um, I do want to mention, um, you know, we lost Regis, you know, over the weekend. We also lost John Saxon, who truly was one of my favorites. John Saxon, who was in Enter the Dragon, Nightmare on Elm Street, he died at the age of eighty-three. Um, he was a Brooklyn tough guy. Starred in the Appaloosa, the Unguarded Moment, and Black Christmas. I love that they mentioned Black Christmas. Um, he was a personal. John Saxon was a personal favorite of of my friends and I. Like we loved John Saxon. And the first when I heard that John Saxon died, I texted uh, Scott Oaken immediately. It's like John Saxon passed away, man. He was a rugged actor who kicked around with Bruce Lee and Enter the Dragon. He beat the hell out of Bolo. In Enter the Dragon. You know, he was badass. Uh, Nightmare on Elm Street, he was 83. He died of pneumonia in Tennessee. Um, The Italian-American from Brooklyn, Saxon played characters of various ethnicities during his long career. His portrayal of a brutal Mexican bandit opposite Marlon Brando in the Appaloosa earned him a Golden Globe. He had a recurring role on ABC's Dynasty. Uh, Um as a, a Middle East tycoon who romanced Alexis Colby, played by Joan Collins. Uh, he was also in another 80s primetime soap, Falcon Crest. Years earlier, Saxon starred from 1969 to 1972 as the surgeon Theodore Stewart on The New Doctors. 
which was the rotating segment of the NBC drama series The Bold Ones. Discovered by the same agent who launched the careers of Rock Hudson and Tab Hunter, Saxon first gained notice for his performance as a disturbed high school football star who taunts Esther Williams in the unguarded moment. In the film's credits, he's billed uh, as the exciting new personality John Saxon. (laughs) Uh, He played a police chief that makes a fatal mistake in the Canadian cult classic Black Christmas, featuring Margot Kidder and Keir Dulay. Uh, His horror resume also includes two films for Roger Corman, Queen of Blood and Battle Beyond the Stars. Uh, In Warner Brothers' Enter the Dragon, Lee's first mainstream uh, American movie, and last before his death at age 32, Saxon portrayed Roper, a degenerate gambler who participates in a martial arts tournament. In real life, his fighting skills did not approach those possessed by Lee and another co-star karate champion, Jim Kelly. Saxon, though, said that Lee took me seriously. I would tell him I would rather do it this way, and he'd say, okay, we'll try it that way, he told the uh, Los Angeles Times. Um, Saxon played the cop Donald Thompson in the first and third films of the Nightmare on Elm Street franchise, uh, where he's eventually killed by Freddy Krueger's skeleton and then returned to play an actual version of himself in New Nightmare. Yeah. He was born Carmine Orico, uh, the eldest of three children of an Italian immigrant house painter. While in high school, he worked uh, as a spieler at Coney Island Archery Concession, becoming proficient with the bow and arrow. So that's where he's from. He's from uh, Brooklyn. Yeah, but he, you know what I mean? He, uh, John Saxon was in a ton of stuff, though. If you, if you, if you look at his... Uh, you look at his his resume. I mean, you've got Evil Eye, The Cardinals, The Swiss Conspiracy, Wrong is Right. Oh, my God, they mentioned Fever Pitch. <laughs> they mentioned Fever Pitch. Beverly Hills Cop 3. Wait a minute. Bever- I don't remember him in Beverly Hills Cop 3. I don't remember much about Beverly Hills Cop 3. Um, he was in Electric Horseman, Joe Kidd. Rock Pretty Baby, Cry Tough, The Reluctant Debutante. He did a lot of stage work as well. Yeah, he was he was one of my favorites. One of my favorites. He was married three times uh, to screenwriter Marianne Murphy, airline attendant turned actress Elizabeth Saxon, and since 2008, cosmetician Gloria Martell. Survivals also include his son Antonio and his sister Dolores. Um, memorial contributions in his name can be made to the Motion Picture and Television Fund. So, you fan of John Saxon, Tom? I'd say so. But, uh, you know, I liked all the stuff that he's been in. Mm-hmm. Good actor, you know, a guy who just found his found his roles and played the hell out of them. Let me tell you this: he was an incredibly nice guy too. He was at Flashback, at our Flashback Horror Convention a few years ago. I think back in 2007. And I got to do his Q&A. And, um, yeah, he was just an incredibly nice guy. Incredibly nice. And he was built. I mean, like, he was, like, in his 70s when, when he was at the Flashback Convention. And he was, I mean, my God, he was in good shape. That was one of the first things I noticed about him. When I shook his hand, I was like, my God. 
Once you get those Enter the Dragon muscles, you know, they never leave. Yeah, no, he was in fantastic shape. So, but yeah, one of my favorites, the great uh, John Saxon. Okay. Um, we got the news coming up here. If you want to join us, it's 312-981-7200. We got some weird Area 51 photographs that we're going to talk about and some of the most mysterious places in the U.S. What are some of the weirdest places that you've ever visited? 312-981-7200. 312-981-7200. And uh, we got the news coming up here and uh, and much more. So weird places that you visited, and we got some Area 51 photographs that we're going to discuss Ooh, now might be the time to rush. We got to rush Area 51. Give it another shot. Let's do it. Let's check out Area 51, man. <laughs> I'd love to go there. I, I would. would love to see that. I would I love would, to go there. What I wouldn't give to see Hangar 18, you know? It's so weird. I love it. What are some other weird places that you visited, mysterious places in the U.S.? 312-981-7200, and we'll talk about that after the news. Hello, who is this again? Cool in the gang. Oh yeah. K O O L. Cool in the gang. <laughs> Gotta love that, man. One step up. Yeah. One more. Oh. And another. Cool in the oh. gang. Wait. Oh. Oh. Can't be stopped. You can't stop cool in the gang. <laughs> <laughs> Man, Russell Crowe put on some weight. I'll leave him alone. No, I love him. <laughs> you like? You I like, like fat, fat beard. I like fat bearded Russell Crowe. Santa Russell. Yeah. Unhinged is the is the is the new movie. I haven't watched it yet. Unhinged. He's unhinged. His belt loop. <laughs> His belt loop. Oh man. Hey, Nick DeGilio here on 720 WGN. We're here until uh, 4 o'clock, as we are every uh, weekday morning, 11 p.m. to 4 a.m. Uh, my dad's going to call in and tell a joke because it's Monday, and it's a jokey, 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 jokey time. Um, classic uh, Johnny Carson. You can see the Johnny Carson show every night on Antenna TV, and you should because it's awesome. Uh, and we're going to play back some stand-up from our good friend Rich Scheidner. Rich is a good guy. Met him several times, been on the show a bunch of times. Friends with him on Facebook. Uh, wrote a great book about comedy. Been in the business for a very long time. And a uh, funny guy and a nice guy. So we'll hear some of his stand-up. All right. Anybody uh, been to Area 51? Ooh, creepy. Um, because we've got some uh, Area 51 pictures that show a giant hangar has mystery has mysteriously vanished. See, it just keeps getting weirder at Area 51. 
<laughs> Long-range photographs captured by pilot, private pilot Gabe Zaifman offer a rare insight into the layout of one of the most enigmatic landmarks in the world. And again, if anybody's been to Area 51, we would love to uh, get your impression of it. I'm sorry, I don't do impressions. The pilot had permission to fly along the border of the base despite the airspace over Area 51 being tightly restricted. He has flown over the area three times, enabling him to capture some of the curious changes at the site, according to the sun. In one of Mr. Zeffman's photos taken this April, a new hangar appears to be under construction at one part of the Area 51 site. But just months later, the structure with a triangular sloped roof has vanished. Ooh. Creepy. The second photo, taken this July, shows a void at the site where the perhaps temporary hangar once stood. Zeffman, who is an air traffic controller, records his flights with a GoPro camera and can be heard in his footage asking permission to fly along the border of the Area 51 airspace. He took the incredible photos of Area 51 and other top-secret installations to the Nevada Test and Training Range after receiving permission to fly through the airspace. Uh, He took the images while flying uh, Cessna 150 after receiving permission from air traffic controllers to pass through the airspace last weekend because it was cold, meaning no military flights were taking place. Jeez, guy was he was flying a Cessna? <laughs> a Cessna through Area 51. Uh, he told Mystery Wire that he has been incredibly careful during his flights not to cross the line into the most heavily restricted airspace in the world. What's Mystery Wire? Do you know Mystery Wire? Is that is that a website that you should uh, check out? Well, yeah, it's just they kind of deals in uh, UFOs and other sort of things. Oh, like cool! That. Yeah, Mystery Wire. David Duchovny run it. Um. The site deep in the desert has signs dotted around the base warning deadly forces authorized against trespassers. Uh, It wasn't until uh, 2013 that the CIA even acknowledged Area 51 existed. What? 2013? Uh, Following a Freedom of Information request filed years earlier, it confirmed the site did indeed exist. And is officially called Groom Lake. Groom Lake? Is there a lake there? I thought it was in the middle of the desert. Wild theories about what goes on behind the closely guarded perimeter of Area 51 include that it's a base for captured UFOs and alien remains. Others speculate that the U.S. government stores information about extraterrestrial activity at the base and develops secret spacecraft there based on alien technology. I, I'd like to go to Area 51. I just wish they would just clear up. About, I mean, think about that. They didn't even acknowledge its existence until 2013. Isn't that crazy? Why? You know, I I, I understand 
you know, that the government's, I guess, allowed to have secrets if they need to. I don't know. I'm not that. I'm not smart enough to say what should or shouldn't be public knowledge. But like, you know, acknowledge it at least exists. Don't yeah. wait. You know, however many years. How long has the Area 51 thing been? Oh, out? come on, forever. Man. Yeah, forever. Yeah. Well, anyway, a hangar disappeared. <laughs> Par for the course at Area 51. Yeah. What are some of the strangest and weirdest places that you've ever visited? 312-981-7200. Area 51, very strange. Hey, Jim, we accidentally opened up a wormhole and we lost a hangar. Nah. Yeah, don't worry about it. Tuesdays. Don't worry about it. We've got a guy driving around, flying around in a Cessna. Let's uh, concentrate on that. Let's concentrate. What, on... what is a Cessna? It's a small, it's it's a small, small aircraft, small. yeah. With like a blades? Yeah. Wow. Propellers, yeah. Yeah. Is this peak moment for Cessnas? I guess. I guess. I mean, because most of the time, if you think in Area 51, you know, I, I always would just think jets. Sure. You know? All right. Talk about unidentified flying objects, a Cessna. Well, uh, some of the most mysterious places on the US, in, the, in the U.S., and we're going to talk about them. And if you've ever been to weird places, or, in fact, if you've ever been to... Uh, Area 51, we would love to hear from you. Our phone number is 312-981-7200. We also have a story about the Pentagon that has off-world vehicles that are not made on this earth. (laughs) Uh, More UFO stuff going on. Uh, And then we're going to talk about some of the most mysterious places um, that are definitely like out of the Twilight Zone. So, you ever been someplace weird? Tom? Weird places. I'm trying to think. Let me let me get back to you on that. All right. Let me get back to you on that. All right. Three one two nine eight one seven two hundred is the phone number. Our phone lines are open. What's the weirdest place you've ever been to? We'll talk about that right here on seven twenty WGN. Jillio here on 720 WGN. Uh, we're live in the Skyline studio here until 4 o'clock. 312-981-7200 is the phone number. We've been talking about uh, Area 51 and some other weird places. We also have some uh, a story here that the Pentagon has off-world vehicles not made of this earth. Talk a little bit about that. And then uh, we want to talk about uh, some of the weirdest places that you've ever been to. Phone lines are open at 312-981-7200. Here's Mary on WGN. Hi, Mary. Hello. Yeah, hi. You're on the air. Well, the strangest place I've been is Stonehenge. Um, I went there in 85. These pillars, see, the highest one is 30 feet, and they're just in green pasture. They just come out, seem to come out of nowhere. Yeah. Have you been there? No. That's all I wanted to say. Oh, okay, Mary. Thanks. Bye. Yeah, Stonehenge. Uh, very strange. Very strange. Very mysterious place. Um, so, for years, the U.S. government has reportedly changed its tune regarding its official involvement with UFO research. 
Uh, as recently as February, a Pentagon spokesperson told Poplar Mechanics that while a government program did investigate unmanned aerial vehicles and other unexplained aerial phenomena for some time last decade, Funding dried up in 2012, but when Popular Mechanics thoroughly investigated the covert program, multiple sources said it was still ongoing to this day. Now a new report in the New York Times confirms those accounts. The government's UFO unit currently resides in the Office of Naval Intelligence, where it deals with classified matters per the report. Even though the unit isn't classified, the Unidentified Aerial Phenomenon Task Force is meant to standardize collection and reporting on sightings of UAVs and publicly divulge um, at least some sort of finding twice a year. So so they now have... um, They now have uh, some, some, some videos that confirm that there are off-world vehicles that are not made of this earth. Wow, man. We need uh, Duchovny. (laughs) Um, In regards to the Unidentified Aerial Phenomenon Task Force mentioned in Times, they confirmed that the Department of Defense is creating a task force to gain knowledge and insight into the nature and origins of UAPs, as well as their operations, capabilities, performance, and or signatures. The mission will detect, analyze, catalog, consolidate, and exploit non-traditional aerospace vehicles. Uh, UAPs posing uh, an operational threat to U.S. national security and avoid strategic surprise. The Times report and the anticipated public disclosure of findings from uh, Unidentified Aerial Phenomenal Task Force, Phenomenon Task Force, are the latest in encouraging recent developments surrounding UFO research. Wow, so they're really doing it. They're, I mean, I guess they're, I guess they're admitting it now, right, Tom? Yeah, I'd, I'd say so. And it's interesting to have this push finally. You know, after how, you know, how many years of people trying to just get some sort of acknowledgement at the very least. Mm-hmm. That's the thing that really throws me off is the lack of acknowledgements. I'm, yeah, I'm not going to tell you what's in Area 51. I don't know. I don't think most people know, even within uh, within the government. It's anybody's guess. Yeah. No one's saying it has to be extraterrestrial. No one has it. No one's saying it has to be anything. But, you know, you kind of just wish that they'd just come out with it. You remember when those goofballs were going to rush Area 51? Brave souls. <laughs> no, that's not a good idea. <laughs> no, not really. It's a military would, facility. Yeah, I would not recommend that. I would not recommend that. The fact that folks showed up at all really just—I mean, what do you I mean, twist you, my melon. These guys were wasn't there a big group of people? They're like, yeah, we're going to rush Area Fifty. We're going to run at Area Fifty. No, and see what's up. Okay, enjoy the military action. Yeah, I think it was mostly just a bunch of people hanging out in the desert, not unlike Burning Man, but with more alien face masks. Uh huh. It was uh, an internet joke that somehow got to that. point. <laughs> where people actually showed up that they were there they were no people you know, were there I, it's just that you know i mean it's that. a military facility you don't want to rush a military facility it's a bad idea it's a terrible idea 
man, we're going to rush Area 51. No. <laughs> there are other ways. Write your congressman. Yeah. yeah. Write your congressman about Area 51. <laughs> well, it is a mysterious place. I'd like to go just to hang out. I'm not going to rush the place. But you want to see it from afar. Yeah, I just, well, I'd just i like to just, see it, yeah. I, I like I'm, to get a picture next to one of the signs that says, you know, do not enter, do not go any further. Well, like that. they've got like, they embrace it, I believe, in the area. Oh, absolutely. They sell Area 51. They sell aliens and things like that, like little little aliens and alien t-shirts and things. So it's embraced. It's like, uh, it's like back in Scotland, how they embraced Loch Ness. Yeah, I mean, you have to. I mean, get this. So, uh... On the 24th, an Area 51-themed Burger Shack drive-in movie theater opened in Las Vegas. The 24th of this month? Yeah, this month. So just three days ago. Yep. Yep. It's uh, It was opened by a guy named Joe Basso, who uh, also owned a place called the Heart Attack Grill. <laughs> you got to like his honesty. But the place is called Burger 51. Burger 51. Burger 51. Yeah, according to the website, ordering is acceptable in both English or Klingon, <laughs> and uh, the atmosphere takes you back to kind of the heyday of UFOs, kind of like the 50s and 60s, that sort of place. But get this, uh, you, you know, free short film with any burger. What does that mean? They, it's a drive, it's a, they've got Oh, like it's a, a drive-in, drive right, okay. Yeah, it's a drive-in theater. I thought maybe they place. gave you a DVD. Yeah. <laughs> That'd be nice. That'd and be it's nice. in Vegas. Yep, it's in Las Vegas. Yeah, that, that sounds like a place that would be in Vegas, doesn't it? They have slot machines there from another world. Yeah, <laughs> Co- yeah the customers are asked to bring in tinfoil hats to guard against government <laughs> cerebral scanning. <laughs> I'd go. I would absolutely. Oh be no, there. that would be fun. I'd be there in a heartbeat. Yeah, no, that would Burger be Burger Fifty One. I'd get my tinfoil hat on and uh, have myself a burger. Get a free yeah. short film out of it. What was the name of the guy's other restaurant? Heart, heart, Attack? heart Attack Grill. Do, can you look up what's on their menu? Heart Attack Grill. <laughs> I mean, you know, you got you got to admire the honesty in how they name the place. Let me give you, <laughs> let me let me give you a little bit of a primer on this. It's it's got a hospital theme. Oh, might, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what? I've talked about this before. Yeah. The waitresses are nurses and yep. the waiters are doctors, and they take prescriptions, a.k.a. your order, from the customers. Each, each patient dons a hospital gown and wristband before ordering, and those do not who do not finish their meal receive a paddling by one of the nurses. <laughs> what? <laughs> you get paddled by a nurse, mm-hmm. and then you have the option to buy the paddle afterwards. To buy the paddle afterwards. Yeah, she'll paddle you. If you don't finish your meal, she'll paddle you. I thought you I, buy when, the when you first said paddle, because the name is Heart Attack Village or whatever the hell, I always I thought it was like paddles as in Oh, like a defibrillator. Shock. Yeah, defibrillator. Maybe it is those to get a get a paddling. Wow, heart attack! What's it called? Heart attack! Heart attack grill! Heart attack grill! And it's in Vegas. Yep, of course it is. It's terrifying. <laughs> on their uh, on their sign, it says over three hundred fifty pounds eats free. Oh my god! My goodness! 
They uh, make a point of serving food that is very high in fat, sugar, and cholesterol, as you might expect. Mm-hmm. So if nothing else, they've got a uh, the guy's got a great eye for concepts. Yeah, it's true. Burger Fifty One is the other one. Burger Fifty One. Get okay. your tinfoil hats. You gotta have your tinfoil hats. Okay. Uh, all right. What's the weirdest places you've ever been to? Three one two nine eight one seven two hundred. And uh, we are going to talk about uh, 20 mysterious places in the USA that are definitely out of the Twilight Zone. Ooh. 312-981-7200. Weirdest places you've ever been, and we're going to talk about some mysterious places in the USA that are right out of the Twilight Zone. Phone lines are open. 312-981-7200. All Stands on golden sands and watches the ships that go sailing somewhere. All right. Hello. It's uh, Nick DeGilio on 720 WGN. We're live in the Skyline studio and we're here until four o'clock. And then at 4 o'clock, we head over to Bradley Place uh, on the TV side of WGN, get some uh, news and information from them. And then at 5 o'clock, the one and only Bob Surratt is your morning drive host. 312-981-7200. What's the weirdest place that, the, that you've ever visited? So some of these mysterious places are natural while others are man-made. At some point, it might seem that we know so many things about this world that there is nothing mysterious left in it. Science can explain a lot of things from the formation of the most bizarre natural uh, structures to the way a certain a certain phenomena occur. We might think that absolutely everything in this world is open to us, yet it is teeming with unsolved mysteries. And... uh even though some of them can be explained from a scientific point of view, they still attract those of us who like enigmas. Ooh. Uh, unsolved Mysteries. They rebooted that. That they did? Who's the host? Uh, they don't have a host. Oh, right. It's hostless. It's hostless. Like a, like a Twinkie. <laughs> So what are some of the weirdest places that you've ever been to? How about this? The Eternal Flame Falls in Chestnut Ridge, New York. If you hike around waterfalls in Chestnut Ridge Park, you'll certainly notice a weird thing about one of them. There's a strange orange-red light behind the water that looks like a flame. It can uh, make you think that there's that you're seeing some kind of optical illusion because how can something burn in water? But in fact, it's not an illusion. It's an actual flame burning in the waterfall. Uh, How did this happen? The thing is, there's a small nook behind the waterfall that emits flammable ethane and propane gas. Occasionally, the flame extinguishes if it's too much water that gets on it, but it can easily be lit back up because the gas supply is constant. 
the Eternal Flame Falls, Chestnut Ridge Park, New York. Ooh. Mysterious places in the U.S. 312-981-7200. What are some of the weirdest places that you've ever been? Racetrack Playa, Death Valley, California. Playa? I believe it's Playa. All right. I thought like maybe Spanish for beach. Okay. Never took Spanish. <laughs> Playa. Ra- well, I thought it was a rap song. Um, Racetrack Playa in Death Valley National Park is a place where something strange is happening to the stones. They seem to be moving by themselves without any human or animal intervention, leaving a trail in the mid-surface behind. No one ever saw the movement of these stones, which makes it even more mysterious. In fact, this unusual phenomenon has a scientific explanation. Scientists say that the combination of natural forces such as ice, water, and wind are to blame for this. At first, rainwater collects in the dry lake bed, then it freezes as temperatures drop to create a thin layer of ice on the stones. When it breaks up, the wind pushes the stones and they move due to being covered with ice. Well, that seems like a normal explanation. Okay. Roswell, New Mexico. Well, Roswell is a famed place for mystery lovers. It suggested that the UFO crashed... Uh, that the UFO crashed onto the site back in 1947, and a local ranch owner found the debris uh, debris on his property. At first, an intelligence officer claimed that it was the remains of the UFO, and the news immediately got to the front page of newspapers. But then U.S. military officials claimed that it was just a weather balloon. Uh, at first, people believed the official version, but in the 1970s, they started thinking that the government found aliens on the site and covered the accident. In the 1990s, another claim from the government came. This time, they admitted that the crash crashed object was a nuclear test surveillance balloon from a top-secret project. Now, due to all these twists and turns, it's hard to believe which version is truthful, and the site is still surrounded by mystery. Yeah, Roswell, man. Uh, Devil's, Devil's Tower in Wyoming. I've always wanted to go there. Always wanted to go to the Devil's Tower, mainly because it's in Close Encounters. Uh, Devil's Tower is an extraordinary geologic structure protruding out of the rolling prairie around the Black Hills. The site is considered to be sacred to the Native American tribes living in the area. The main mystery about Devil's Tower is the countless parallel tracks along the rock. According to a legend, they were made by a claws of a giant bear that was trying to climb the mountain because it wanted to eat the children hiding from the predator at the top. What? Meanwhile, according to scientists, the origin of the formation is natural and is due to volcanic activity and erosion, but the exact way they were formed remains unknown. Yeah, I've always thought that Devil's Tower was pretty cool, man. Because of Close Encounters. Uh, here's Jim on WGN. Go ahead, Jim. Hey, Nick. Nice stories. Uh, mine was in Bristol, Tennessee. Uh, they had these caverns, and they says, oh, yeah, we're going to check the caverns out. You literally walked into a hole in the ground, 
go down, I don't know, maybe two or three stories, and all of a sudden it opens up and there's all these, I guess they call them stalactites and stagmites and dripping down from the ceiling and coming up from the floor and that. But really bizarre, and they got it all lit up, and then they tell you to kind of stand there, and they tell you not to move or anything, and they shut all the lights off. And it's pitch black, you can't see your hand in front of your face. 30 seconds later, they turn it on, and when they do, there's like 100 cave spiders crawling all over the place. Oh. It's like, man, come on. Yeah, no. Yeah, I, I will not be visiting that place. Give me the boogeyman anytime. That spider. Uh uh. Uh huh. All right. Thanks. Thanks, Jim. (laughs) Yeah. 312 981 7200 is the Team Hockburn phone line. Um,. Yeah, I don't want to go someplace and they turn the lights off and then they turn the lights on. There's nothing but spiders. I don't need that in my life. It's kind of a worst case scenario for a lot of people. I don't even under. I don't. Who would do that? Are you an arachnophobe? Um, I, I not no. I mean, but with a with a bunch of them, yeah. Well, yeah. No, I don't think even people that don't have a fear of spiders would rather not be covered in a thousand spiders. Yeah, but. Uh, yeah, no, spiders never really bother me. Never really bother me. I like them. I like spiders. Uh-huh. They eat all the bad bugs in your house. Sure. Take care of that for you. Sure. So you don't have to eat the bugs. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I don't, you know, this. I'm not going into a cave and then having the lights come up and there's like 9,000 spiders. That's not, uh, that's not going to happen. All right, minus the spiders, would you go into the cave? I've been in caves. Okay, you've been in caves. Yes. You don't mind the you don't mind the kind of claustrophobic nature of the whole eh, thing. It's not c- incredibly comfortable. No, you just accept it. Yeah, just like yeah, I'm in this cave. Yeah. So, but yeah, no spiders. No spiders. No. If if we could just get most spaces free of spy a thousand spiders, they're more fun to be in. <laughs> uh, I would agree with that logic. How about the energy vortexes in Sedona, Arizona? Energy vortexes. Most likely you know Sedona, Arizona for its splendid red sandstone rock formations. But did you also know that this place is a spiritual hot spot? Some people come here not only to admire the landscape, but also to get an energy boost due to the so-called vortexes or areas of concentrated energy that are claimed to boost healing and encourage the feeling of well-being in visitors. Due to the strong energy produced by these vortexes, even trees twist into, in a very unusual way. The origin and nature of these vortexes still remains a mystery. Wow. So head over to Sedona, jump into those energy vortexes and feel better. Watch out for the spiders. Three one two nine eight one seven two hundred. What's the weirdest place that you've ever visited? We already heard from a guy who was in a cave full of spiders. Uh, that's pretty weird. How about Old Faithful, Yellowstone National Park in Wyoming? The most mysterious thing about Old Faithful, a geyser in Yellowstone National Park, is the fact that it erupts every ninety minutes like clockwork. You ever been there? I've always wanted to go. 
But it's it's kind of hard to get there if you're not driving. Yeah, it's true. Like you just what find a because Yellowstone is Montana, Wyoming or Wyoming. Pardon me, Wyoming. But um, yeah, I've tried I've tried to go there. I've tried to go up to Montana to go to a national park. And it's, if you're not driving, uh, it's kind of a pain in the butt. Um, it uh, erupts every 90 minutes like clockwork. The eruption typically lasts for about five minutes, and in 90 minutes, everything repeats again. Scientists still don't know what causes this incredible regularity, but studying this interesting phenomenon, they are trying to understand its nature as well as the nature of other geysers in the world. Thus, a secret egg-shaped chamber was found in the rocks beneath the geyser. Something resembling a pipe connects with the mouth of Old Faithful. After every eruption, the geyser water levels increase and steam bubbles emerge and later explode to start an eruption. Wow. Sounds pretty interesting. All right, 312-981-7200. Phone lines are open. What's the weirdest place that you've ever been? The most mysterious place that you've ever visited? And uh, we want to hear from you at 312-981-7200. We'll continue. Right. 312-981-7200 is the phone number. Uh, we're going to talk about real lawsuits that sound like madness, and there's a guy that is constantly receiving rubber ducks from an anonymous sender. <laughs> right now we're talking about some of the more uh, mysterious places in the U.S. What are some of the strangest places that you've ever visited? 312-981-7200. And the news is next from the Northwestern Medicine Newsroom. So, uh, yeah. Let's see. Here's uh, Cheryl on WGN. Hi, Cheryl. Hi. Hi. Go ahead. Um, we were on a trip when my kids were little. We went to, out to Colorado, and we often stopped at these out-of-the-way places, and um, there was a place called the Garden of Jewels. And so it sounded interesting. We went in, uh, paid our money, went into the thing, and it was like a park with all kinds of sidewalks and beautiful trees. And as you start to go in there, you notice that there's snakes hanging from all the trees. And um, I took the path around. My kids were brave. They went through it, but I opted to walk the path around the snakes. Yeah, so there were just snakes just hanging from the trees. Yeah, they evidently let them crawl up in there, and then they, you know, hang down, and I don't know if they're, scheduled for when people are walking. I don't know, but I didn't. I'm not a snake person. Yeah. So I opted to go the other way. Yeah, that sounds pretty scary. Uh, it, yeah, it was. And I gave my kids all the credit in the world, but there was no way I was doing it. <laughs> so, yeah. Wow, that sounds pretty scary. Their dad went with them, and um, he's not a snake person either, but he tolerated it just so he would be with them. <laughs> yeah. Wow, that sounds pretty crazy. It, it was traumatizing I'll tell I, you. I bet. <laughs> snakes hanging from the trees okay thanks cheryl uh-huh. yeah. bye no man <laughs> it's quite the roadside attraction yeah come see our garden of snakes 
hanging from the trees. <laughs> Ever curious what the Garden of Eden was like? Find out for yourself. Jeez. That just seems weird, snakes hanging from trees. Would you say the weirdest place you ever went was that off-the-road haunted house? Oh, my God. Is that pretty much the weirdest place you've ever been? Well, I mean, it was traumatizing. Yeah, probably. This was 1972. We were on our way to Orlando to go to Disney, and we stopped at a roadside off-the-road haunted house. And it was a, it was unbelievably traumatizing. Unbelievable. And I mentioned this on the air years ago, and there were others who experienced this haunted house in Florida. I think if you, like, Google, like, haunted house in Florida, this place will pop up. Because it was, you know, we started talking about it on the air, and then, I started talking about it in the air. It was, it was traumatizing. It was it was unbelievably scary. And it didn't look like a haunted house. Like, you walk up there and it just looked like a regular house. Uh, but once you get inside there, man, uh, it was... Oh, my God. I mean, my mom was completely traumatized. Yeah, I'll never forget it. I'll never forget it. Uh, and I know other people have experienced this place, too. It was like on the way to Orlando. I, I'm a little bit surprised at the trust in, hey, there's a haunted house just right off the, the highway, right? Just off Well, there the were signs along the highway uh-huh. that said haunted house coming, blah, blah, blah. And we were like, oh, that's cool. And, you know, roadside attractions are fun. Sure. You know, if you're driving down there, that's one of the reasons why you do a road trip is so you can stop off at some of these unusual places on the way. So we just thought, all right, because we'd stopped off at other, you know, attractions and stuff like that before. Mm-hmm. And I'm a, you know, even as a little kid, and I was a little kid, 1972, I was eight in 1972, seven, I think, seven or eight. So even back then, you know, I was a horror fan my whole life. Monster movies, horror movies, all that, you know that. As a little kid. <laughs> and so Haunted House, oh, cool. My God, though, this this experience was just... I, I, I know it was, I, it was on the way to Orlando. So I don't know exactly what part of Florida it was in. Um, I think you get a, like, after you, after you go through the Haunted House, you got like a a certificate of honor or something because you made it through or you got like a button or something that says I made it through this haunted house. It was so scary. I I am telling you, it was just unbelievable. If anybody's experienced this, because this was a long time ago, I think it's been closed for many, many years. But, um, yeah, yeah. That was definitely probably the weirdest place that we've ever gone to off the road. And it was just so unlikely, you know? It's like, oh, it's just like a look like a regular house. Then once you get in there, it starts out kind of funny. You go into a room and they've got a bunch of uh, 
tombstones like on the wall with jokes on them. And one of them said, um, a tombstone of a hypochondriac. And it said, I told you I was sick. <laughs> they disarm you a little bit. Yeah. And you're like, they oh, bring that's your funny. Down. Yeah, that's funny. And then like 10 minutes later, you're, t- you're, you're crying for your, for your life. Scariest, scariest haunted house ever. Middle of nowhere in Florida. Florida's scary as it is. All right, how about this? Skinwalker Ranch in Utah. I've heard about this place. Yeah. Yeah, we talked to Dr. Uh, Travis Taylor about Absolutely. this place. It was weird. Yep. The site of numerous paranormal activities, Skinwalker Ranch, was even called the strangest place on earth by some visitors. He stayed there, too. Um, mysterious stories about this place have been told for decades. Even the Native American Ute tribe has old legends about weird skinwalker creatures living there. Once a family moved to the ranch and soon started noticing a number of bizarre events, from crop circles to strange lights to poltergeist activity and UFO spottings. They even claimed to have seen a gigantic spaceship that was seven and seven foot tall man. Needless to say, they soon left the ranch. Now this place is a scientific research center. It's interesting that even the scientists who work there confirmed the bizarre claims that say they all saw UFO and noticed poltergeist activity. Yeah, we talked about this uh, at length about this place. Skinwalker Ranch in Utah. Rife with paranormal activity. An unexplained phenomena. Uh, the Coral Castle in Homestead, Florida. Uh, the Coral Castle was built by Latvian immigrant Edward Leeds Scotlin, who claimed to build it. He used the same methods as Egyptians did to construct the Great Pyramids. It took him over 25 years to complete his work. Overall, he utilized 1,000 tons of limestone boulders to construct the house. Some of the stones weighed as much as 15 tons. It remains a mystery in how he managed to move the boulders by himself. It's even claimed that the guy must have known how to levitate them so no one saw him operating the construction ground. Another mystery about the construction of the Coral Castle is that no mortar was used to build it. He uh, never shared how he built the structure, and unfortunately the secret died with him. Ooh. All right. Here's uh, John on WGN. Hi, John. Nick, uh, I want to tell you about two places. Down the street, uh, there used to be a two-story house that was built in the 19th century. And uh, this friend of mine was in a local rock band, and he uh, rented the lower part. Uh-huh. And so anyway, uh, we were I was in the house, and I was talking to him, and I put my hand up over at the door jam. And uh, I felt like something was running from one room to the other, and it was running under my arm. So anyway, I said to my friend, I said, what's going on in this house? He said, well, he said, it's a ghost. Mm. And I said, ghost? But it wasn't anything malevolent. It uh, it was kind of like a, a gag from a Three Stooges movie. Okay. Yeah. Anyway, the house has been torn down. The other thing was... Uh, 
you know, you're talking about going to Florida. Well, we went, my family went to Florida in 1970, and we went down to Miami and we went to NASA, but on the way back, there was an aviary. And, uh, we, my whole family went in there, and it, this place is filled with a lot of exotic birds. And once you entered it, these birds would, like, dive bomb you. Oh, jeez. Uh, these are, like, birds that you find down in uh, Central America, because they, they had incredibly long plumages, like peacocks. But uh, I know these were the different species of birds. Wow, that's pretty scary, anyway, too. I think, we, I think my family drove by that haunted house that you talked about, but we didn't stop. Yeah, well, it was the scariest haunted house ever. I mean, it was traumatizing. Okay. Yeah. All right, thanks, John. All right, nice talking. Bye. Yep. A lot of birds. I don't like birds. No? No, they freak me out, man. They freak you out? Yeah, they freak me out. Why? I don't know. They're just kind of something soulless in their beady little eyes. <laughs> and they crap on my car. You never had a parrot? No, my parents did have a pair of lovebirds, though. They did? Yep. Horrible, screeching monsters that could fit in the palm of your hand. Sure. They're lovebirds. They're annoying is what they are. Oh. You just don't like birds. Yeah, I don't like birds. My girlfriend's been like, hey, we should get a bird. Said, no. Why, why would I want that? Why would I want to bring that into my home? Can you watch the Alfred Hitchcock movie? Uh, I can, but... I don't love it on this, in the sense that I get very anxious. I bet you do. I'm like Tippy Hedren, you know, just yeah. Boy, did he abuse her on that set? Yeah, man. Maybe oh, man. that's why. I could just feel. I, could well, just, I mean, that scene in the attic is ridiculous, man. Wasn't he like literally throwing the actual birds at her? real birds? God, what a jerk! Yeah, he was brilliant, but a jerk. All right, uh, the news is coming up. Nick DeGilio here on 720 WGN, and uh, we are live in the Skyline studio here until 4 o'clock. Uh, it's Monday morning. That means my dad's going to call in and tell a joke. Um, 312-981-7200. That is the Team Hockburn phone line. If you would like to join us, we're talking about some really strange places, mysterious places in around uh, the United States. And uh, if you've ever been to what are some some of the weirder places that you've ever been to, we'd love to hear from you at 312-981-7200. We got real lawsuits that sound like madness and the story of a man who is constantly receiving rubber ducks in the mail. <laughs> it's just such a weird story. Have you ever have you ever had a situation where people keep sending you stuff? Uh no. No. Mm-mm. Hmm. Not really. Not that I can recall, anyway. Uh, 312-981-7200 is the phone number. What are some of the weirdest places that you've ever been? These are mysterious places. 
Trans-Allegheny Lunatic Asylum in Western, Weston, West Virginia. Yeah, you know, the, the whole lunatic asylum thing, that's another... I don't need that. I can't believe that there was a that there were places. I mean, I know they existed, but there were actual places where they put people and called them lunatic asylums. Oh yeah, I I I know it's real. I I so know it's real. I know it exists, but uh, that just blows my mind. The 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 literal loony bin. Yeah. In eighteen sixty four, the Trans Allegheny Lunatic Asylum started accepting patients. At first, everything was fine, but with time, it started getting more and more patients so that in the 1950s, the facility was designed to hold 250 patients, reached its peak, housing over 2,400 people. Supposed to be 250 is the peak, and they get 2,400? Due to this harsh overcrowding, conditions in the asylum became inhumane including the lack of heat and caging of some of the patients. It all led to extreme violence from the patients who began attacking the staff and making fires. In 1994, the asylum was finally closed, but it's believed to be inhabited by the souls of the patients. If you want to check out whether these claims are true, take a ghost tour of the facility. Or are you scared? This this place is open for... You can do tours, Tom? Oh, yeah. Oh, man. Yeah, they're uh, they're open for tours right now. In fact, I mean, not right now. It's 2.10 in the morning over in uh, West Virginia. But, uh, yeah, you can go on a on a tour of the Trans-Allegheny Lunatic Asylum. Oof. I, that's, that might be a little bit too much for me. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. They uh, haunted by the souls of its patients. Who that's were a, that's completely a mistreated. That's the last place you need to be. You know. Yeah, I've 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 been in places that have been allegedly haunted by uh, relatively friendly spirits. I guess. Yeah, but, but with that, all the horrible stuff that happened, yeah, those, in this place. those there'll be some angry ghosts. Yeah, they're gonna be ticked. They're gonna pull on your hair. You're gonna. Maybe scarier or something. Show up out of nowhere. Mm-hmm. Can't have that. No. All right. How about the Oregon Vortex in Oregon? I wonder if my ex-wife, my ex-wife lives in Oregon. I wonder if she's been there. Something really strange is happening to this place. People's height suddenly changes. They feel vertigo and they can't stand straight while brooms are standing on their own and animals are trying to stay away from the house. Even though people have been visiting the House of Mystery in Oregon Vortex since the 1930s, scientists still can't explain the phenomena occurring there. They have something to do with a strong magnetic gravitational force, but we still don't know anything for sure. It's noteworthy that Native Americans refer to this place as forbidden ground. So, do we need to explore it, or should we just leave it as a mystery? The Oregon Vortex. That sounds weird. Doesn't it? Yeah, the just... If people get taller? 
And brooms stand on their own? Yeah. The organ vortex. Well, if especially if the if the indigenous people of the area turn to you and say, Hey man That's forbidden ground. Yeah, maybe not. Yeah. That's kind of like the uh the old man at the gas station is like, I wouldn't go up to that house over there. It's been haunted. Yeah. Boy, is that a cliche. It's a great cliche. Yeah. I, f- I feel like they exist, you know? The best one is the guy on Friday the 13th. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> would, would the would the Deliverance gas station count? Well, um... As a, as a portent of bad things to oh, come? Oh, well, yeah. 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 God, that movie. I'm de- I'm oh, serious. Oh man! If you're ever in a car, you stop at a gas station, and there's some kid playing the banjo. You turn around. You turn around and you get out. No, you don't. You do a duet with him. No, <laughs> that's that's what Ronnie Cox did. That's the final nail in the coffin. If you if you play the dueling banjos duet with some swamp kid at a gas station in the middle of where they're they're in Alabama. I Is think there? so. Yeah, in the middle of nowhere. That movie, I, you know, earned it. I, I don't even know what to say about that movie about Deliverance. Um, my God, you know, <laughs> that's, that's a very effective. That's a very effective movie. And poor Ned Beatty. Oh man. And that ending, where the hand comes up out of the water. <laughs> Uh, Burt Reynolds rules in it too. Mustacheless Burt, yeah, got a great vest. He's he's great in that movie. So yeah, it's just creepy though. Yeah, I don't think uh, I don't think I'm gonna hang out with a banjo playing lunatic. Maybe not. Yeah, I, and also avoid places that are considered hollowed ground or forbidden. Yeah, anything with the word forbidden or hollowed. Yeah, you might want to steer clear. Yeah. Yeah, even if the people who live there go, no, forbidden. That's You should take that advice and go, I'm not going anywhere near this place. But maybe if you go to that vortex, if you, I wonder if it changes your height. Does it stretch you or make you shorter if you're real tall? I'd love to find out what it's like to be 5'8". Oregon, I can tell you what it's like to be 5'8". <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. I can tell you exactly what it's like to be 5'8". <laughs> What's it like? It's like being five foot eight. All right. Uh, all right. Uh, 312-981-7200 is the phone number if you want to join us. We're talking about some of the weird places that people visit. What were some of the mysterious or strange places that you've uh, that you visited? 312-981-7200. After midnight. All right. Hey, it's Nick DeGilio here on 720 WGN. And we are live in the Skyline studio uh, here till 4 o'clock. It is a Monday morning. That means my dad's going to call in and tell a joke because it's a jokey, jokey, jokey time. Um, we got some uh, real lawsuits that sound like madness. And uh, this guy is receiving rubber chickens constantly. Ducks. Rubber ducks, not rubber chickens. Rubber chickens. I was thinking of Steph Svengooley. <laughs> he could he could never 
not use some rubber tick- chickens. Oh, no. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, we're talking about weird places that are mysterious places around the country that have weird uh, stories behind them, and they feel weird, and there's mystery surrounding them. And we wanted to uh, find out if you've been to any uh, strange or weird or crazy places. 312-981-7200. Here's Gina on WGN. Hi, Gina. Hey. Hey. Um, I was telling your uh, man on the scene there that uh, you can make a broom stand up pretty much any place, any time of day. doesn't have to be on the equinox or, you know, or, or yeah, doesn't have to be, you know, first day of spring, first day of fall, whatever. You can do it any place, any time. It, it's just a balancing thing. No. That's it. I found that out the hard way because I was like, yeah, let's see how this works on any other day of the week because I had done that just to freak people out at work. I was running around and standing brooms up all over the place. And so they came walking in and saw them and they freaked out. So the next day I'm like, it can happen today and it's not the same day. And yeah, did it again. So yeah, I pretty much quashed that one. But if we're talking about weird and interesting places, uh, I am from central Illinois. And there was an insane asylum in Bartonville, Illinois, which isn't terribly far from where I live. And it was, oh, God, late 1800s, I think, that it was built by Dr. Zeller. And if you look up Zeller and old book, you will find a very interesting story of a man that worked there digging graves in their um, cemetery. Because they thought, you know, putting him to work kept him calm and it kept him happy. Eventually, he passed away. The day that they went to bury him, he was very popular with the staff. He was very popular with the patients. And there were, supposedly, I think, 300 people who showed up for his funeral. And they went to lower his coffin into his grave. And, oh, sorry, I forgot the big part. Um... Anytime that he helped them bury someone, he would go over and stand next to a particular tree and cry and sob. And he never made another sound other than that crying and sobbing. He did not speak. Well, on the day that he died, suddenly they hear the same sobbing and everyone looks over at the tree and he's standing there leaning against the tree, crying and sobbing and freaking out. Everybody there. And the doctor himself, the man who ran the place, Dr. Zeller, was there with his wife, and they saw it. And he said, open it up, open it up. So they pulled it back up, and they opened it up. And as soon as they opened it up, there he was. Everyone looks back over. The crying stops, and he's gone. Wow. Witnessed by 300-plus people. Was in Dr. Zeller's um, autobiography. And there were, you know... It wasn't all patients that were there that day. It was a lot of staff, so it was people who were not insane. Wow. But he is still buried on the grounds there where the hospital used to be, and there are a ton of other people buried out there. Some of them actually have their names on their graves. Most of them are just numbers. It's a fascinating place to visit. Wow. Okay. That sounds crazy. All right. Thanks, yeah. Gina. Yeah. Take care. 312-981-7200 is the phone number. Ooh, God. It's a little, little bit creepy. 
I don't feel I, f- I don't feel so good, man. <laughs> uh, here's Bill on WGN. Go ahead, Bill. Yeah, uh, one of the places I visited was the Idaho, the old Idaho State Prison. Uh, it was built well. It was a one one start out as a one cell jail back in the I don't know eighteen hundred or so, and then as it got more crowded, the, there was a stone quarry nearby. So one of the things that was really weird was the prisoners had to quarry their own stone and build the wall around the prison. And then they put a forge in there, and the prisoners had to build their own bars to go on their on their cells. And you could go into the gallows, because they hung back then. You could go into the gallows, and if you were, it, they never knew what was going to happen. But they assumed it happened when someone was executed, because all of a sudden you'd be standing there. I didn't see it, but they'd say once in a while the trap door would just fly open on the on the uh, gallows, just open up like somebody had been hung. Mm. And then if you would uh, go by a jail cell, the door may be open, and you would walk by, and maybe you would walk by, and maybe two minutes or so after you went by it, the guy that was doing the tour, all of a sudden that door would just slam shut, and you'd say, your prisoner so-and-so went back in his cell. The door would actually close. And there was other weird things like that would, that would go on, like when you, for punishment, they'd put the prisoners in a pit, sort of like solitary confinement, and they had grates over top the pit. And when people, when the prisoners go to eat their meals, they'd have to, it was outside the dining room, so they'd have to walk over top of that. And the, that was torture the prisoners because they weren't going to get to eat, but they saw our bells going to eat. Mm. And they'd say, and there was, I never heard it, but they said every once in a while you'd hear moaning or groaning, but we, we weren't there at that time to hear it. But we did it with the door did slam shut because all of a sudden my daughter's with us and we was walking along and the door went bang and she about jumped out of her skin. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Wow. All right, Bill. Thanks for the call. Okay. All right. Idaho State Prison. You know, a lot of, uh, you know, old prisons and stuff like that. You know, a lot of weird stuff happens in prisons. So there's going to be a, a there's going to be a pretty creepy vibe, I would imagine. I really want to get out to Alcatraz. I really just want to see what that's like. Yeah. Well, they do two tours. So. They do. They do. I want to see where, you know, Al Capone was at Alcatraz, right? Or was he? No. 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 I think Al Capone was jailed locally, wasn't he? I don't know why I thought that. Either way, I want to see what's going on. Clint Eastwood escaped from there. He did. And that's a great movie, by the way. Yeah. You know, Nick Cage had to stop a terrorist plot at at Alcatraz. The Rock. Welcome to The Rock. It's the only Michael Bay movie I don't hate. All right. How about the San Fernando Cathedral in St. Antonio, Texas? San Fernando uh, Cathedral in San Antonio is the oldest church in the state of Texas. During the day, it can be called a stunning example of Gothic Revival architecture. But when the night falls, everything changes. It all started in 1936 when construction workers who were renovating the church found bones and scattered military uniforms buried underneath the al- near the altar. Some believe that it belonged to three soldiers of the Alamo, 
Since then, visitors started reporting that they had seen shadowy figures or even ghosts in the church. They also claimed that the figures that they saw were dressed in hooded clothing that resembled a monk's robe. Ooh. (laughs) How about bighorn medicine wheels in Wyoming? Jeez, Wyoming's got a few uh, haunted things going on here. Weird stuff going on at Wyoming. Bighorn Medicine Wheels in Wyoming is one of the most well-preserved locations there were sacred for the Native Americans. Uh, One of the few things known about this place is that it represented harmony for the Native American tribes and was used to perform certain rituals. Everything else remains a mystery. We don't have any written record on how or and why medicine wheels were used. Nevertheless, there are two theories about the medicine wheels. According to one of them, the wheels had important cosmological and stellar alignments. And uh, with another one that says they were used for holding special ceremonies for the purpose of which has long been forgotten. All right. We got a few more of these here. If you've ever been to a weird place, mysterious place, what are some of the strangest places that you've been to? 312-981-7200. 312-981-7200. Give us a call. We want to hear from you. Uh, got some weird stories. Let's hear them. All right. We'll continue here on 720 WGN. Hello, Nick DiGilio here on 720 WGN. We are live in the Skyline studio here until 4 o'clock. Um, Carson's Comedy Classics, we always play uh, either uh, some stand-up or an interview or a sketch right directly from the classic Johnny Carson show. The Johnny Carson show you can watch uh, every night on Antenna TV. And we're going to be featuring our old friend Rich Scheidner, terrific stand-up comedian. And uh, we'll hear some of his stuff. My dad's going to tell a joke a little later on, too. 312-981-7200 is the phone number. We've been talking about some weirdly mysterious places that may or not be haunted or have some sort of weird connection. And uh, we were wondering if uh, if you have any stories of some of the strangest or weirdest places that you've ever visited. 312-981-7200. Here's Maureen on WGN. Hi, Maureen. Hey, hi. How are you, Nick? All right. What's up? Um I went on a trip to Ireland in 72 to visit some relatives, and uh, we went to this crypt that was near that where they lived, and it had been broken into. And we so we walked in, and there was a skull with ginger hair there. And we ran out screaming. And the funny thing is, um, I, I even found a picture of us standing near there, you know, outside. So a few years ago, I was back in Ireland visiting, and I got to see my father's cousin, who was the person with me that day, and her family. And it was shortly before she died, and we sat around and reminisced about that day, which was kind of, oh, it was really scary. Wow. But the scary, Ireland has a lot of scary places. And she uh, had been my babysitter when I was a child, because she lived over 
in Maine with my family for a few years. And she had the best ghost stories I've ever heard in my life. We loved him. Mm. All right. So that, that that that's my little scary thing. All right. Thanks, Maureen. Oh, you're welcome. All right. Take, take care. care. Yeah. Good old Ireland. Here's uh, Pat on WGN. Hi, Pat. Yeah. Uh, Nick, uh, a couple of years ago, I was out in Colorado visiting my brother, and uh, we went up into the mountains outside of Denver, stopped at this little little town called Needlander, and they have a story about a guy from Sweden who was living there, and he died, and they couldn't afford to send him back to Sweden, so they put him on ice. And every year they have a frozen dead, dead guy days in Needlander uh, celebrating this guy. And uh, they had him on ice for years. Wow. <laughs> you could probably Google it and uh, see they sell T-shirts with a picture of the guy on it. Wow, okay. And he was in ice. He was on ice for years. Okay. Uh, and uh, his family in Sweden couldn't afford to pay for him to come back, so they just kept him in a ice shack, I guess they yeah. called it. Oh, wow. Well, we'll try and find out a little more details about that. Thanks, Pat. All right. All right. Oh, my, he's not kidding. Frozen dead guy days. Frozen dead guy days. What are some of the things that happen for frozen dead guy days? Well, for one, uh, let me describe to you some of the people going there. We've got a woman with kind of traditional day of the dead makeup, you know, like yeah. um, Mexican day of the dead. Right. And in her hair, instead of curlers, she has empty cans of Miller Lite. What? So there's that. That'll That'll get you started. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> empty cans of Miller Lite. Yeah, let, let, here's a, here's a little bit of a rundown of what goes on at Frozen Dead Guy Days in Nederland, Colorado. Live music, coffin racing, coffin racing. Yeah, coffin racing. What are you getting a coffin and slide downhill? I imagine so. Uh, costumed polar plunging. Well, we've got polar plunging here. You can do that here. The parade of hearses. <laughs> frozen t-shirt contest frozen t-shirt contest <laughs> uh ice ice turkey bowling which i've done that's a lot of fun uh-huh uh snowy human foosball uh <laughs> brain freeze contest fro- frozen fix a flat ice sculpting frozen dead poet slam the newly dead game Oh. And a silent disco. A silent disco? Yeah, silent disco. What is that? So it's this thing where you put on headphones and you can choose oh. what you're listening to. I've been to one. It is the most antisocial dance I've ever been to. Sounds like it. Yeah, everybody's kind of dancing to different stuff. No one's really talking because they're all wearing headphones. So okay. it's, not, it's not really much of a, a social scene, I guess. Mm. All right. See, here's Trudy on WGN. Hi, Trudy. Hi. Hi. Nick, I uh, want to tell you about the Winchester House in California. Okay. I know you've probably seen the movie. 
and uh, everything is true. Uh, we were there on vacation, and there's doors that lead nowhere. But the eeriest thing was that I went to take a picture inside the house, and my camera broke. Ah. I've heard, I've heard many, 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 many stories about the Winchester house. Oh, yeah, and I really enjoyed it because I like that sort of thing. And we had to go out afterwards. I had to go to a store and buy a new camera so I could take pictures of our trip. Mm. All right. Well, the Winchester house broke your camera. <laughs> yes, definitely. Okay. Enjoy right. your show. Thank you. Thanks, Trudy. You're welcome. All right. Um, how about Mel's Hole? We're talking about uh, mysterious and weird places. Mel's Hole in Manistash Ridge, Washington. Uh, in Manistash Ridge, which is near Ellensburg, Washington, there's a so-called Mel's Hole that boggles the minds of mystery lovers. First of all, it's unknown whether this hole has a bottom. Uh, due to this, some people claim it's not a hole but a tunnel, which reminds us of the hollow earth theory that appeared back in the 17th century. Secondly, whether it's a hole or a tunnel, it has to end somewhere or lead someplace. Still don't know what either of those things are. are, are. And third, there are claims that Mel's Hole can reanimate animals um, that appeared after a local man threw his dead dog's body into the hole, and soon the dog came back home, alive from the woods. You think this is Stephen King's inspiration for... uh, Pet cemetery. For pet cemetery. Uh, it's, it's possible, man. That kind of Lazarus pit sort of thing. Yeah. Although, you know, I think everybody should read Pet Cemetery just to learn that you don't bring back your pets from the dead. You also don't bring back your son either. Yeah. No. <laughs> Why didn't they learn? The cat comes back really evil. Yeah. And they were just like, well, he was well, desperate. I guess so. You know, he just saw his kid get hit by a truck. Well, maybe you don't let your kid play in traffic. Didn't they kill off the girl in the remake? Yeah, they changed things around. It's the same basic premise, but I guess they thought 2019 audiences couldn't handle that small of a child being killed. Because Gage in the book is like, little kid. he's a toddler. Yeah. He's a toddler. Yeah. Which is part of the grim nature of Pet Cemetery. but the, the, that's you know, a total Pet Cemetery. The first movie, the original... Because in the book, because by the way, I, that, for me that's the scariest. That's the scariest thing that Stephen King has ever written is Pet Cemetery. I think it's absolutely the scariest book he's ever written. Movie not as scary as the book, but the book is terrifying. There are times when I actually had to just put it down and go, I don't. If you show it to Vic Vaughn, he flinches. He, he just completely loses his mind. But in the book, when the kid gets hit by the truck and he, you know, and they bury him and he comes back, he's all messed up. Because he's yeah. been hit by a truck, right? Um, not so in the movie. <laughs> not so in the movie. Well, let's you know be honest about the limitations of your imagination versus what they can portray on yeah. screen realistically. No, that but book is that book is is freaky, scary. man. It's really don't scary. bring your cats back from the dead. So yeah, so I don't know if that's from Mel's Hole. If that was his <laughs> his inspiration, <laughs> could we find a better name? Mel's Hole. That's what it's called. All right, man. So uh, here's Lance on WGN. Hi, Lance. Hi, Nick. I'm a big fan. Thank you. Um, so I got um, a, my own personal story, now, and I have a quick little ghost story, too, so I don't know which one you want to hear from. Go ahead. Um, so anyway, um, late at night, there's like eight of us that go to this restaurant. Um, 
for a late night meal, and I and I go to the restroom. Um, there's a drop ceiling in this restroom, and you know I'm just in the restroom doing my thing, and all of a sudden I hear something running across the ceiling, and it's it's heavy, so it, it it's heavy enough that it sounds it sounds like a child running. Mm-hmm. And I noticed one, I noticed one of the tiles in the drop ceiling kind of pushed off, like someone was looking up there. So I'm I just go hello, and then the running goes back the other way. It's not an animal because it's heavy. You know, it sounds like footsteps. So then I I leave the restroom and I go back to my table and I tell all the guys there. There's like eight of us there, and I go, you know, I tell everyone what's happening. I go, come on, let's go in the restroom. No one wants to go. So then I find out later this building's haunted in. Whatever. So that's my own personal story. And I have a quick ghost story if you want to hear it. Go ahead. Uh, so I'm talking to my neighbor about that story that hit the web about the grandmother. Do you know about this, about the grandmother whose grandson's visited by his lady, wants to put something on his foot? Yeah. 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 So anyway, so I'm telling my neighbor about this story. And the neighbor comes back and tells me her story, which is um, her daughter and her husband were dancing to the song. And her husband starts crying, and her, and her daughter's like, why are you crying, Dad? And he says, well, this is a song your grandmother used to love. And every time I hear this song, I think of her, and I miss her. And the daughter goes, but she's right there. <laughs> and she just points to nothing in the corner. Hey, oh. That's my quick little story. Oh, all right. Thanks, Lance. Yep, thanks. All right. um, the next place in this article is we, we just talked about it, Winchester Mystery House in San Jose, California. It says, let me tell you a story. There was a woman called Sarah Winchester. Her father-in-law was a famed manufacturer of Winchester rifles. Suddenly he passed away, and soon Sarah's husband and the infant passed away too. The woman went to a clairvoyant who told her that her relatives were killed by ghosts of those whose lives had been claimed by Winchester rifles. To save her own life... Sarah was told to move away and build a new house. So she moved to San Jose, California, and built a mansion that still boggles the minds of visitors. The house has doors that open into brick walls, stairs that lead to a ceiling, into the ceiling, as well as um, windows that may or may not have uh, secret passages. Supposedly, it was all constructed to ward off evil spirits. What was it? The the, the movie was uh, Helen Mirren, Mirren, right? Yeah, Helen Mirren. That was what about three, four years ago? That movie, yeah. God, hmm. I was still still working in a movie theater at that time when that came out. I oh. had a few people come out and ask for refunds. Really? <laughs> yeah, I remember liking it. Yeah, you know, some people weren't fans. They weren't about it. I, I mean, I've only seen it the one time, but I remember thinking sure. it was pretty good. Hey, man, Helen Mirren. Yeah. How about Ringing Rocks Park in Bucks County, Pennsylvania? Have you ever thought that you could ring rocks like bells? Most likely such a crazy idea never came into your mind, but in fact, you can ring a rock if you go to a park in Bucks County, Pennsylvania. You're going to find a large field of boulders, and if you strike one of them, you're going to hear a ringing sound, as if it's hollow and made of metal. Scientists say that the boulders are made of uh, a special volcanic substance, but it still doesn't explain why they sound like bells. The Boulder Field location also doesn't have any explanation to this strange phenomenon. Whatever the reason, this place attracts many people who like bizarre things. 
Coming there with small hammers in hand, they attempt to perform their own rock concerts and have fun. (laughs) The Ringing Rocks Park, Bucks County, Pennsylvania. We're talking about some very mysterious and strange places. Have you ever been to some weird uh, places? You got some stories there you want to share? 312-981-7200. Right here on 720 WGN. Right. Nick DeGilio here on 720 WGN. Hi. We're live in the Skyline studio here until 4 o'clock. My dad's going to call in later and tell a joke. Uh, The news is next from the Northwestern Medicine Newsroom. We've been talking about some very weird and mysterious places around the U.S. And if you've ever been to some places that are a little bit weird, maybe haunted, or just strange in general, 312-981-7200. Um, how about Pine Barrens, New Jersey? Pine Barrens is heavily forested, uh, a heavily forested area, area that spreads over 1 million acres in New Jersey. During the colonial period, this area had a lot of swamps, paper mills, and other industries. But when coal was discovered in Pennsylvania, people moved away and abandoned this place. Some people say that the Uh, The ghost towns they left behind themselves are now inhabited by supernatural wanderers. For example, there is a so-called Jersey Devil that is considered to be the most popular resident of Pine Barrens. A legend said that he was born in 1735 at the 13th uh, child to his mother. He was born with a goat's head, hooves, leathery wings. Ever since the Jersey Devil was reported being creeped out uh, been creeping out residents of South Jersey and killing livestock. I've heard about the Jersey Devil. Love the Well, I've heard about the hockey team. Yeah. Mount Shasta in Redding, California. Like like the cola? That's what it's spelled. Mount Shasta is located in Cascade Mountain Range in Redding, California, known as one of the world's cosmic power spots. This mountain has long attracted Native Americans, Buddhists, and other spiritual seekers and mystery lovers. Different mysteries have been spotted on and around Mount Shasta, including UFO sightings, crystal caves, and encounters uh, with ascended masters. Native Americans believe that the spirit of the above world dwelt uh, on the mountain. Besides, some people claim that they saw Lemurians, survivors of an ancient super race that lived on Earth thousands of years during the time of Atlantis. Atlantis. There's even a legend that says these advanced beings created a hidden city there after they lost their own continent. Busy. Busy dudes. <laughs> uh, how about Horseshoe Canyon in Canyonlands National Park in Utah? Horseshoe Canyon isn't... Only a beautiful place climbing and trekking enthusiasts strive to visit. It's also a mysterious place. Noted by the unique rock art that dates back 2,000 to 8,000 years. But it's not their age that creates a mystery around the, around the uh, pictographs. It's what depicted on them, it's what de- it was depicted on them that bewilders anyone who comes to Canyonlands National Park. 
The Great Gallery of Horseshoe Canyon features a large panel with human-like creatures depicted on it. These creatures have big eyes and antennas, and some of them don't have arms or legs. A lot of people suggest that they are the drawings of extraterrestrial beings who came to visit uh, hunters-gatherers who lived in the area. Is it true? I guess we'll never know. About the Georgia Guidestones in Georgia, obviously. In 1979, Robert C. Christian proposed his project to the Elbert Granite Finishing Company. This project was named uh, the Georgia Guidestones, and it was to become one of the most mysterious sites in the USA. The company built everything as Christian wanted, and now the main structure consists of four large granite slabs standing erect around the fifth granite slab. Inscriptions are made on each one of the eight granite faces that feature ten guidelines for the age of reason written in different languages in each of the faces. The eight languages are represented are English, Spanish, Swahili, Hebrew, Hindi, Chinese, Arabic, and Russian. Right after the structure was completed, Christian disappeared and left us puzzled by the purpose of his creation and about his own identity. So, Tom, what's what's the weirdest place you've ever gone to? A haunted Wild West town in Arizona. Ah, yes. I believe you talked about this before. Yes. It uh, gave me a near pathological fear of of haunted houses, which, you know, kind of seems odd because when people meet me, they know I love horror movies. I love scary books. I love all these sorts of things. But um, you basically cannot get me to go into a haunted house. You cannot, could not pay me enough mm. to go in. I think the last one I was ever in, I had to be dragged out of because I went into, I went into like a panic attack in the middle of it. Where was this? <laughs> this was, uh, that one was in, was in Crystal Lake, Illinois. I was in high school. It was in Crystal Lake? Yep. The, yeah, the one that I had to be pulled out, or maybe it was you know near Crystal Lake. They used to do you know they there's a lot of cornfields out there, a lot of open places where you could set up like a haunted house and do like a corn maze and stuff like that. You would have had a heart attack at that place in Florida. I bet I would have. I I have no doubt in my mind. I can't even go in like the kitty ones. Like there's a there's a place like a like a pumpkin patch. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Out, yeah. Out in, you know, near Crystal Lake, sure. Where uh, you know it's f- pretty family friendly. It's got the quote unquote haunted house, and really, it's just kind of like a dark, like little maze you go through in five five seconds. And they've got you know little glow in the dark, scary skeletons maybe painted on the sides. And I was maybe fourteen, and they could not get me to go in it. This dumb little haunted house, simply because. It was a small enclosed space that was supposed to scare me. They had a they had a haunted house at Old Chicago. They had a haunted house at Old Chicago. And there used to be a place called Amlings. Amlings. Yeah. Amlings. And that's where you would go every year they would have like a pumpkin thing for Halloween. So they would set up a haunted house. Amlings haunted house. Is that like Melrose Park? Yes. Yeah. You'd, you'd get your pumpkin, you'd pick your pumpkin, and then you'd go through the haunted house. 
Amlings. They, they, I, if I'm not mistaken, Amlings technically sold flowers. Yep. But every year around Halloween, they would bring out the pumpkins and uh, set up a haunted house. We used to go every year. Have you seen that they have people sign release forms now for some of these haunted oh, houses, yeah. modern stuff? Oh, no, no, no. Yeah, 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 are yeah. We, are we not going a little too far, maybe? No, you got to sign a release form for what some of the, these places. What is, what's up with that? What kind of... Because they attack you. They come after you. That's that. That's yeah. got to be not allowed. Come on, even for people the like it, man. Yeah, sadist or something. People like, love it. What is that about? Yeah. And finally, the Myrtles Plantation in St. Francisville, Louisiana. There's a shock. There's a, a haunted place in Louisiana. We went on a haunted tour when we were in New Orleans. It was really cool. There was, it was, was really funny, though, is that we went to this Indian restaurant that's supposedly haunted. The upstairs is supposedly haunted. We walked in, and the, the smell of the food was so insane, we ate there the next night. Well, yeah. It was so good. You catch a whiff of some good, really good Indian food. And we went upstairs. Go the, the, the upstairs was, like, blocked off yeah. from the you know the restaurant. The restaurant was very busy. We went upstairs on the tour. Uh-huh. They told us about you know this haunted place, and all I could think of was, like, we're eating here tomorrow. <laughs> The only place haunting it was you. Oh. Myrtle's Plantation was built in 1796 by General David Bradford, and these days it's considered one of the most haunted places in the USA. It's rumored that the house was built on a burial ground of Native Americans. Because of it and due to other circumstances, instances, at least 12 ghosts inhabit the place. There are numerous stories and legends about them. Let me share one of them with you. There was a slave named Chloe whose ear was chopped off because she was caught eavesdropping. Chloe decided to take revenge on her master and poisoned a birthday cake, thus killing two of his daughters. After it, her fellow slaves hanged Chloe. Uh, Her soul didn't find peace, and now she's reportedly wandering around the plantation wearing a turban to hide her severed ear. Wow. That's That's a pretty creepy legend right there, huh? Chloe, the one-eared ghost, wandering around a plantation in Louisiana. That just sounds like a movie, doesn't it? A lot of these little legends that we were just talking oh, about. yeah, sure. They would make fun movies. So, all right. 312-981-7200, if you would like to join us. Um... We are uh, going to talk about um, real lawsuits that sound like madness coming up, and then. Uh, but we're also going to start start it off with the uh, the story about the rubber ducks that this guy just keeps getting sent to him. It's a little maddening. Three one two nine eight one seven two hundred is the phone number, and uh, we'll tell you all about it. Guy receiving rubber ducks, and they just won't stop. So we'll start off with that, and then. Uh, and then we'll uh, we'll talk about uh, the real lawsuits that uh, are like madness. That's all coming up here. Our phone number is 312-981-7200. We would love to hear from you. Um, if you're the culprit who's sending the rubber ducks to this man, maybe you'd like to call in. And why are you doing it? There's got to be some sort of some sort of reason that this person is doing it. So we'll have to speculate a little bit on that, but it's a funny story. I know that much. 312-981-7200. We'll talk about it after the news. 
Hey, it's Nick DeGilio here on 720 WGN. Um, we're here until um, 4 o'clock, 312-981-7200. Coming up at 2.30, we always play back some classic Johnny Carson clips, whether it be interviews or sketches or stand-up. And uh, we'll do that again at 2.30. And you can watch the Johnny Carson Show every night on Antenna TV. And we like to share some comedy. Uh, our good buddy Rich Scheidner, stand-up comedian, is going to be featured this morning. And that's coming up at 2.30. My dad's going to tell a joke a little bit later on. Because it's a jokey, jokey, jokey time. 312-981-7200 is the uh, number if you would like to join us. We're going to be talking about some real lawsuits that uh, sound like hilarious madness. But first, this now this is a story out of the UK. Correct, Tom? Yep. So the mystery of a man who keeps receiving yellow ducks in the post has taken another turn as Amazon confirms he isn't being scammed. Peter Jackson, oh, guy's name is Peter Jackson. Peter Jackson of Oshaw Moor near Durham has been driven quackers after receiving one new yellow rubber duck almost every day for the past three weeks. Mr. Jackson first told the Northern Echo how puzzled he had become after a total of nine rubber ducks had made their way to his home on New Acres. But in the past week, the 76-year-old has been receiving yet more parcels and rubber ducks, this time accompanied by some very hilarious messages. Uh, one message, written by someone called Ellie Harris, read, For your boo-boos, triple X from the fake doctor, XXX from fake doctor. Another message read, Duck, duck, quack from goose. <laughs> Speaking to the Echo, Mr. Jackson said he still did not know who was behind the mystery parcels, but hinted that they appeared to know he has he had a dog. He said, in the past week, uh, I've gotten more rubber ducks, some venison chew sticks for my dog, and Scottish shortbread. <sighs> I've been giving away the ducks. I've been giving the ducks away to my son's wife. She has friends who just had babies. Dozens of readers of the Northern Echo got into touch to say that they believed Mr. Jackson was the victim of a brushing scam. Brushing scam. Uh, but Amazon have since confirmed the mysterious goings-on are not suspicious after doing a bit of digging themselves. An Amazon spokesman said, we have looked into the matter to ensure that there is uh, nothing webbed afoot. <laughs> Mr. Jackson is not going quackers. Someone indeed is sending him rubber ducks. <laughs> While we can't reveal the customer's true feathers, we can assure Mr. Jackson he will not be receiving, quote, a bill. And the case continues. So the best that Amazon could do was to recognize the fact that someone is sending this guy a bunch of rubber ducks and then make a bunch of puns about it. Right. Good job, Amazon customer service. Well done, everybody. How about just don't deliver the ducks? Well, that's what he paid for them. Send them back. <laughs> it's made it's made news headlines. It's made a headline. You would think that they'd be like, ah, you know, maybe we should 
deny this order. Just give the guy his money back. Well, I mean, he's also given the dog chew, the, the venison chew sticks for his dog. Yeah, that's true. And shortbread. Scott is shortbread. Scott's shortbread is good. It's very good. I, I can't say I'd be upset about receiving a tin of Scottish shortbread. No. Delicious. But, but the rubber duckies. It's just ridiculous. The rubber duckies. It's like that guy who was receiving like a pizza every day or something like that. You remember that? The guy who was just constantly oh, receiving pizzas? Yeah. Why? Why do people do these things? People have a lot of uh, time on their hands. Would you say too much time on their hands? Uh, yeah. Thanks, Sticks. Thank you, Dennis DeYoung. <laughs> so, um, yeah, rubber ducks. I wonder what the obsession is with the rubber ducks. Is Amazon going to run out of them? What about that? That's that's a problem. There might be a rubber duck shortage now. That'd be a crisis. Yeah. Because then think about it. One day, some kid is going to go on Amazon after saving all of his allowance to finally buy the rubber duck he always wanted. Right. And Nothing. He's sold out because an adult man or woman, we don't know who it is, is sending a 76-year-old man rubber ducks every day. What a world we live in. <sighs> yeah. Amazon. Well, when are we going to do it came from Amazon again? Oh, we, we we get something in the works here. Yeah. Make sure we cover rubber ducks. <laughs> well, we've already covered UFO detectors, uh, canned uranium. Yeah, the canned uranium. That's pretty, that's something special. Yeah. And, of course, uh, the giant rubber penguin head. Got to have that. <laughs> the giant rubber penguin head. That the guy uses to read his, he, when he's reading his kids to sleep, he wears a giant penguin head. <laughs> <laughs> they sell a lot of weird stuff on Amazon. Well, you know, some someone clearly wants it. Yep. You know, someone wants a giant plaster on photo of an elderly woman taking a... Uh, a buterol inhaler. Yep. Uh, that's for real. That's 100% a real thing. Real. All of those things that we talk about on uh, It Came From Amazon are real. Some of them are very weird, but all of them are real. All right, so um, we'll keep you posted on the rubber duck story. It's a very important story. Got to get an update. All right, keep keep it keep an eye on the story time. We got to find out what's going on with the rubber duckies. Aye, aye, sir. All right. 312-981-7200 is our phone number. We're going to talk about real lawsuits that sound like hilarious madness. But they're real. And if you can think of uh any lawsuits from the past that you think are weird that you remember, 312-981-7200. Jumping in here talking about some really weird and hilarious lawsuits. 312-981-7200. Blue jean baby, L.A. lady, seamstress for the band. All right. Hello. 
Nick DeGilio here on 720 WGN. And uh, we're live here. Skyline Studio, 18 stories above beautiful downtown Chicago. Here until 4 o'clock, as we are every weekday, uh, night into morning, 11 p.m. to 4 a.m. My dad's going to call in a little bit later and tell a joke. Coming up in just a few minutes here, classic Johnny Carson clips that we always play. Some stand-up from Rich Scheidner. But right now we're talking about some lawsuits that were hilarious and crazy. Uh, can you remember any uh, sort of frivolous or ridiculous lawsuits that made the news? 312-981-7200. 312-981-7200. That's the Team Hochberg phone line. All right. You ready for some of these? We'd love to hear from you. Uh, what are some of the, the lawsuits that stick out for you that were just ridiculous? You know how it goes? You tell your neighbor his lawn gnomes look like Backstreet Boys. He kidnaps your flamingos and things just escalate from there until you're in court for destroying thousands of dollars worth of Christmas lights. Yes, sometimes the silliest disputes can become real legal matters. Like, for instance, here's the first one. <laughs> the Grump, the Grumpachino lawsuit. Uh, say what you will about the Grumpy Cat craze. Man, I loved the Grumpy Cat. Rest in power, Grumpy Cat. Oh, I loved Grumpy Cat. Would you say that Grumpy Cat was your spirit animal of a sort? I, I don't know. I just adored I, I adored her. I thought she was great. Um, For the uninitiated, Grumpy Cat was a cat that just kind of had resting mean face. Yeah. I can't remember what, what, what her name was. What was Grumpy Cat's name? Now I'm blanking on her name. <laughs> yeah, what was her name? It was in... Tartar Sauce. That's right, Tartar Sauce. <laughs> you know, they made two TV movies. What? Oh, yeah. Featuring Tartar Sauce? Yeah, featuring the Grumpy Cat. You know who did the voice? Who? Uh, oh, Aubrey Plaza? Exactly. Is that not oh, perfect voice casting, God. though? Yeah, I'm just, I'm trying to get over the fact that there was, A, a cat named Tartar Sauce, and B, that cat started two TV movies, Yep, voiced by Aubrey Plaza. Yep, and was an internet sensation, as we all know. Oh, poor grumpy cat. Uh, it's unfortunate where the name Tartar Sauce comes from, I'll tell you off the air. Right. Yeah. No, I, I picked, up, I picked yeah. up on that with the spelling. Yeah. So anyway, the Grumpachino lawsuit. Say what you will about the grumpy cat craze, but don't act like you wouldn't leap at the opportunity to become a multimillionaire for the service of owning a cat. Grumpy cat's owners have plastered her surly face on everything from T-shirts uh, to what has to be uh, a, simp a simply awful-smelling perfume. And in 2013, they partnered with Grenade Beverage to market a bottled iced coffee drink called Grumpachino. As tends to happen with stupidly named products, people went nuts for it. Uh, it wasn't all cocaine and catnip. In 2015, Grumpy Cat Limited filed a complaint against Grenade Beverage for breaching their partnership contract, claiming that it only covered iced coffee drinks and not the other merchandise. Like roasted coffee and Grumpachino t-shirts that the beverage began uh, begun selling. 
Grenade Beverage sued them right back, claiming that Grumpy Cat Limited took the money and skedaddled on their promotion obligations, leaving them holding a bag full of novelty feline coffee. They also alleged that Grumpy Cat Limited, I can't believe that there was a Grumpy Cat Limited, falsely told them the cat was already set to star in a Hollywood movie, marking uh, that it's almost certainly the first time someone has taken legal action in part because of a, a cat lied to them. <laughs> Despite claiming they lost $12 million in revenue after Grumpy Cat Limited dropped their end of the yarn, the California federal jury sided with the cat, ordering Grenade Beverage to pay $710,000 in damages for copyright and trademark infringements, plus a dollar for breach of contract. A dollar? That's what you get for making deals with cats, folks. They can't be trusted. <laughs> That's pretty ridiculous. Yeah, I've actually I've been uh, I've been trying to find if Grenade Beverage LLC is still around. It appears it is not. No more Grenade Beverage. Grumpy yeah, at cat. Least I don't think so. Grumpy cat could put Grenade Beverage out of sale out of out of, out of business. God, can you imagine that? They must have gone to the marketing guy that came up with it be like, hey, there's this great internet cat. He looks really PO'd all the time. We should turn it into a thing. We'll turn it into a coffee drink. And then it ends up probably bankrupting the company. <laughs> Good Lord. Yeah. All because of this this cat. You, you, don't, you can't deny the power of Grumpy Cat. Uh, apparently not. It has real world consequences. Yeah, that's what really freaks don't, me out. Don't about this mess cat. with. Don't mess with Grumpy Cat, man. Stare into it. I I, I do feel sad. Died at eight, only age seven. Poor little Grumpy Cat. Yeah. Well, he was actually not supposed to live that long. Yeah, because so he nice. he had the problem with his body. He was he had those short little teeny legs and stuff. He lived a little bit longer than they thought he would. She she. Okay, uh, I don't know if I can say th- this. I don't know if I can read this one on the air. Um, I, 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 don't, I don't think I can say this one on the air, Tom. Fuked? Is it fuked? We can go with that. Okay. Edward Brunetti is the founder of Fuked, a street apparel brand that specializes in dissing people, companies, and probably at least a few adorable dogs in the form of shirts and other wearable items. Much like the Batman-y music video for Seal's Kiss from a Rose, it was a cool thing in the 90s. It's kind of hard to explain now. And don't be dissing on Seal. <laughs> I happen to love Seal. Um, fights wolves. And I, lo- and I love Kiss from a Rose. That song is great. Just because his uh, trade was on the Outlander side doesn't mean Brunetti wasn't a prudent businessman, though. Like any wise CEO, he applied uh, to trademark his brand, but the old coots at the United States Patent and Trademark uh, Office denied his application again and again for one simple reason, that the name wasn't very nice. The result was a multi-decade battle between one man, a government office, and courtrooms ever escalating importance to the trademark misspelled profanity. 
Brunetti, for the good of him, does not know when to give up. He pushed to, to appeal and reappeal until his case finally reached the Supreme Court in 2019, where he and his lawyers successfully argued that prohibiting the trademark just because it was crude was unconstitutional. In doing so, they definitely forced Ruth Bader Ginsburg to say the word over and over again in an official legal context, so we're all winners. (laughs) That's pretty funny. It reminds me a little bit of, uh, there's a fashion brand, I think it's still around, uh, French Connection UK. Okay. And just like the, they'd put the acronym everywhere, French Connection UK. Oh, okay. They're just trying to be edgy, I guess. Uh Uh-huh. But uh, that that company, Fuked, uh, was, it stands for Friends You Can't Trust, (laughs) I guess. That's a, that's the that's the official word on that clothing brand. It reminds me of uh, the movie Shattered Glass because um, the article that, well, many of the articles that uh, Hayden Christensen just made up, he made up a company called Juked Micronics. <laughs> I love that movie. I know. Oh, my God, I love that movie. All right, a man sued an airline for $34,000 over one wrong letter. In 2014, Edward Gamson and his wife took off from London for a long-awaited holiday in in the idyllic Spanish town of Granada. Or at least that's what they thought for the first 20 minutes of the flight. That's when Gamson noticed that the in-flight monitor showed their plane was heading west of England, not south the direction you always go to when you want to end up in the place south of where you <laughs> of where you are he asked an attendant why exactly they were going west uh who told them that they were going to the caribbean uh country of grenada or granada as gamson tells it the airline's helpfulness ended there british airways claims they apologized and offered the couple uh, a flight to another destination plus enough frequent flyer miles for another trip but gamson says that didn't happen, and apparently the couple went through a three-day ordeal after landing in the Caribbean and never got to, you know, Grenada. That uh, all made Gamson pretty unhappy, and he says he provided the exact city, country, and airport code when booking the flight. So he came up with how much he lost in, in return flights and, and wages, and that was $34,000, and he sued British Airway for it. How does that happen? How, how does that happen? It all went uh, well at first. The presiding judge tossed out an attempt to strike out part of the lawsuit and allowed it to head into full hearing, explaining that this case proves the truth of Mark Twain's uh, the difference between right right word and almost right word is the difference between lightning and a lightning bug, except here only a single letter's difference is involved. Unluckily for Gamson, the judge's appreciation of Mark Twain seemed to wane since the lawsuit was later dismissed and British Airway walked away without having to pay, pay a penny. The latest word was that Gamson was deciding whether or not to appeal, but that was in 2014, so he probably just shook his fist at legalized corporate tyranny and moved on. At least there's kind of a happy ending. He and his wife got to Grenada later and said it was beautiful, so it was worth the wait. Maybe not $34,000, though. 
Well, it's like when you had the those clerical errors can be really bad. Like with your you and your tickets. You miss oh, one ticket, man. you get arrested. I got arrested. Yep. I was just trying to go see Man's Best Friend, that's all. Just trying to see a movie about a dog. With Lance Hendrickson. Can't can't a man wa- you know, go see a movie about a man and his dog anymore without getting arrested. Well, I, I you know, I was speeding. I was I was pretty much flying down Montrose trying to get to the movie on time. I mean, how fast? Give me a guesstimate. Maybe forty five. In a what, thirty? Yeah. Eh, you could do worse. Yeah. 15 over is... But it's also... I mean, you should be pulled over. The other thing is, it was also... Um, oh, I didn't, have I told you this detail? When I got pulled over and hauled out of the car and everything and arrested, uh-huh. it was in front of a school, and there were kids and the, there was kids laughing at me. <laughs> they had to be like 6th, 7th graders or something like that. It was in front of a school. There was like a recess happening or something like that. And all the kids were like pointing and laughing at me as I was getting arrested. I was getting arrested. You probably made those kids' day. I yeah. doubt they remember it. And I also shouldn't have been shouldn't have been doing forty five in the schools. <laughs> yeah. Oh wow. Yeah. Ooh. <laughs> not a not a good look, Nick. Not a good look. Hey, but, hey, hey, man's best friend. I got arrested. I had to. I, I, you know. <laughs> you did the crime because I wanted to see man's best friend. <laughs> Just about the killer robot dog. Ali Sheedy, Lance Hendrickson, killer robot dog. What's not to speed? If only you could have explained it to those kids. Yeah. Tried to explain it to the cops. They they wanted none of it. The cop actually laughed when he found out why I got arrested. <laughs> I mean, I... <laughs> I'm sitting in the jail. I'm in jail. I've been fingerprinted. I have my mug shot and everything, and I'm sitting there. And they ran the, the report on why I got arrested because... When they pulled me over, they they don't tell you. Yeah. They don't know. They just said there's a warrant for this guy. Yeah, we got to take you in. And then I'm like, why am I getting arrested? And they're like, we don't know. I have no idea. One parking ticket was unpaid. <laughs> oh. and, my, and I was driving on a suspended license. That's why I got arrested. One parking ticket. And the cop laughed. Cop just laughed. Got to have a sense of humor. Yeah. I wonder if they have your mug shot somewhere. Got to be in like what state records, something like that, city know. records, Norwich records, Norwich. So I got I got arrested in Norwich. Good old Norwich, Norwich cops. So, all right, let's uh, break here for some uh, Carson comedy. We always play back some Johnny Carson. You can watch the Johnny Carson show every night on Antenna TV, and we always play back some classic comedy from Johnny Carson, whether it's uh, an interview or some stand up or a sketch. And we are going to hear uh, some stand up from our our buddy. Uh, Rich Scheidner, very, very funny guy. So we got some stand-up from Rich Scheidner coming up right here on 720 WGN. All right. Hello, Nick DeGilio here on 720 WGN. We are live in the Skyline studio uh, here until 4 o'clock. My dad's going to call in and tell a joke because it's a jokey, jokey time on a Monday morning. And uh, 
We're going to be talking about uh, words that have different meanings in the U.S. and the U.K. That's coming up. 312-981-7200. That's our uh, number, if you would like to jump in here. Every uh, weekday morning around 2.30 a.m., we like to go back in time to the Johnny Carson Show. You can watch the Johnny Carson Show on Antenna TV every morning. We go back and we play some comedy bits, you know, some sketches, some interviews, and some stand-up. And uh, this morning, we've got stand-up from our old friend, Rich Scheidner. Very good guy, very funny comedian. Do we know what year this is? Uh, I do not have the year on this one. Okay. Uh, Rich Scheidner is a, a good friend of the show. He's written a terrific book on comedy, and I've, uh, I've uh, met him several times, and he's a very funny guy. And uh, so this is some, uh, some Rich Scheidner stand-up comedian on The Johnny Carson Show. Because I, I don't do the taxes. I don't know how to do the taxes. The accountants do the taxes. I treat them like voodoo witch doctors. I bring them a hefty bag of my papers. I leave. They come up with a figure. And I don't care how they do it either. As far as I'm concerned, as soon as I leave, they burn my papers and throw some chicken bones on a dirt floor. Hey, uh, hey, uh, hey, uh, refund. Well, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. No refund this year. I have to pay money. After the government kept all the money I'd lent them for the year, I have to pay it two dollars. Two dollars. I have to write out a two-dollar check, U.S. government. I mean, I was going to blow it off. Two dollars. I mean, what the... Then I got paranoid. If I didn't pay the money, President Reagan would come on television one night. Well, the reason we're not getting all our hostages back is we're two dollars short. Money. Eddie, you owe me money. George C. Scott, the hustler. I just threw it in there for a little bit of, like, flavoring. That's all it is. Not a big joke, but you movie buffs will go, very interesting, very interesting. That was good. Put in a George C. Scott line. Very nice. Very good. I love that. Because money, that's what people fight about money. Arguments about money. Couples know that. You argue about money. I think that the myth is that women spend more money than guys because they shop more. Guys actually buy more expensive things. It kind of evens out. But whoever's doing the bills, that's the one who flips out. Whoa! 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 Oh! Hey, babe, come here a minute. Come here, come here. We have a little economic discussion here. See, you can't spend more than you take in. Stop me if I sound out of line. Look at these bills. There's yours, there's yours, there's yours. When do you come up for air in these places anyway? There's yours, there's yours. You gotta cut down, you're spending too much money. What about your boat? What do you mean my boat? I need my boat. What do you mean about my boat? You know, you know that fish you ate last night? that I caught with my boat? That fish would cost $10 in the store. I catch 4,000 more of those fish, that boat pays for itself. We don't want to look through here, because I don't see any of your dresses making money here. That can be arranged. All right, all right, all right. Oh, they turned. <laughs> <laughs> they go, what, what was that? Was he cutting the woman up there? It became an acting piece all of a sudden, didn't it? Because I mean, the things in your, in, that you have to have different activities. That's the whole deal. Men and women, we can't hang out together all the time. We drive each other nuts. 
no matter how much we love each other. That's how I believe that guys who've been married 15 years come up with hobbies like duck hunting. I mean, it's the only explanation I can come up with for a guy who wants to stand in freezing marsh water at five in the morning. He's out there going, well, at least she's not here. things about romance. Back rubs. Everybody loves a back rub. But you know as a couple, when it comes to trading back rubs, you better get yours first. Because second in line always gets short chain. Uh, you gonna wake up for my turn? Yeah. Good, give yourself a back rub. <laughs> there are certain things you do together as a couple intimate things you do only after you've been together for a period of time. It takes a while to get into. I don't care what else you've done on a first date, you'll never end a first date by going, Denise, I had a great time, really I did. Listen though, before I leave, would you get these pimples on my back? <laughs> Come on, there's one in the middle I can't get to. Don't tell him that baby's not ready. Been watching for three days now. That baby's ready to go. All right, have it your way, but you're missing a go in there. Disgusting. Oh yeah. And those things to argue about jealousy. You're gonna argue about jealousy. Men get jealous. Women get jealous. Maybe some of you other guys have made a mistake I've made. You know, it's late at night. You're tired. You're not really thinking sharp. You're watching TV with your woman, maybe a movie on like Body Heat, an actress on the screen like Kathleen Turner. Your woman asks you that question, you think she's pretty? You say something stupid like, yeah. <laughs> Takes you a while to pay that one off, doesn't it? <laughs> hey dear, will you scratch my neck? Won't you get Kathleen Turner to scratch your neck? And sometimes the arguments come out of nowhere. Have you ever been waked in the middle of the night by the other person? Wake up, wake up. I had a nightmare about you. <laughs> he is a funny guy. Yeah, Rich Scheidner. Also a nice guy, too. Very, very nice guy. <clears throat> yeah, I saw him. I've met him several times, had him on the show in studio and everything. And uh, I saw him at, uh, at Zany's. And he's completely hilarious. So that was a, that was a funny set, man. So I'm trying to figure out when that would have been around, but he made a body heat reference. <laughs> so early that's, '80s. Yeah, that's got to be your, your your compass rose there. Yeah. So uh, 312-981-7200. We always play uh, some comedy clips from uh, the the Carson show, and again, you can. Uh, you can uh, check out the uh, Johnny Carson show every night on uh, Antenna TV. Do we have uh, weather coming up? Oh, okay, good. We'll do that in a minute. Uh, we can get back to these uh, sort of ridiculous um, um, lawsuits that that were nuts. Uh, and we're also going to talk about the words that have different meanings in the U.S. and the U.K. 
Uh, and we would love to hear from you at 312-981-7200. 312-981-7200. All right, what about this one here, Tom? Louis Vuitton versus the Pooh handbag. What? Real lawsuit. Being rich is, like, so hard. You have to deal with your rich people problems, like being too bored or having too much food or whatever. And you also have to put up with people making fun of you. Louis Vuitton knows about this hardship all too well, and that's why they lost their crap when Toymaker's MGA released a colorful poo handbag named Pooey Patan. <laughs> it was clearly designed to mock LV's ridiculously overpriced luxury goods. Richmond Fancy Brand, that's the name of the guy who <laughs> allegedly got his very expensive panties in a bunch and started uh, trash-talking MGA to its customers, implying that they uh, would take action against the toy company for copyright infringement. In response, MGA filed a motion to declare their product a work of protected parody and prohibit Louis Vuitton from taking action against them. It was eventually dismissed by the judge as crack-talking crap talking is notoriously hard to prove, and Louis Vuitton never actually took action against MGA. That apparently settled the matter, and, um, and now we're all free to pay $80 for a hollow scrap of plastic shaped like a colorful turd. <laughs> oh, man. Pooey Patan. Uh, let's uh, take a take a quick break for some weather, and then we'll wrap this up. If you uh, know of any lawsuits that were ridiculous, 312-981-7200. That's our phone number. Jeffrey Osborne. I love that song. He's cool. You like Jeffrey Osborne, Tom? Almost as much as his cousin. Ozzy? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know, he's good. I, mean, did I, you, I like did the you, pop and bass here. No, this is a great song. Great. He's great. Jeffrey Osborne is great. Did you Have you seen this new travel show with Jack and Ozzy? Is it new? I've well, it's been around for a while, but it's, yeah. But yeah. So they, <laughs> uh, I, I saw a clip from it. I haven't watched it yet. I, I saw a clip from it. They actually go to the Alamo. Oh, do they really? Yeah. Now, you know Ozzy Osbourne in the Alamo, right? He's obsessed with the Alamo? No, he peed on it and he got arrested. Oh, he, oh, he, right, right. So they're going back and uh, they said something about, uh, uh, he says something, you can't really understand what Ozzy says, and, uh, and Jack goes, well, you shouldn't have peed on the Alamo. <laughs> and they're walking up to the Alamo. I'll say this. I did see an episode of that where they went to a recording studio and they played for Ozzy some raw takes of uh, it's Randy Rhodes, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, they played some raw. And it was kind of like it was oh, emotional for I Ozzy. I bet it was, man. I bet it was. Yeah, it was very emotional. It was just it was literally just just the tape of Randy oh, Rose just absolutely wailing. 
and it was God the future that that great. guy had. He was one of the greatest guitarists of all time, one of the best metal guitarists of all time. Yeah, he was unbelievable. I don't know if he was drinking or what. I don't think he was, but the plane crashed into a bus. Yeah, killed him and the guy in the other in the plane as well. Mm-hmm. He was so young, man. Ozzy took it. I mean, obviously, he took it horribly. Yeah, it's a bitter pill to swallow. Yeah. Right in the middle of a tour. Ozzy, that was a comeback for Ozzy because he spent that time after after they kicked him out of Black Sabbath was a real dark time for him. Real bad time for him. That's when Sharon kind of came into his life and said, hey, you got to clean up, man. Yeah. So. Because then otherwise... In 15 years, you're not going to cover Papa Don't Preach with your daughter. Yeah. <laughs> By the way, the news is next from the Northwestern Medicine Newsroom. So we got one more lawsuit here. You ready? The headline reads, it turns out emojis are legally binding. Well, that's, that's no good. You ever see the emoji movie? I'd rather not discuss <laughs> that. <laughs> How did that thing get made? Honestly, You're, trust me. Uh, you couldn't when when I was working in the movie business. Oh, we did. We could, did you have that at the? Oh, at the, of course we did. Oh man, of course. Did we anybody did. show up? No. <laughs> we couldn't. We couldn't give tickets away, even to the like kids. They didn't want to see that crap. Yeah. You you know it's bad when your movie that is specifically marketed towards kids can't even get children to go no, see I it. No, I know. Yeah. It was, it was miserable. Absolutely miserable. Texting has been a boon for fast, easy communication, but introducing pictures into the whole deal added a confusing dimension that our stupid brains aren't capable of processing. <laughs> um, is your partner trying to initiate sex? Or are they just sweating over an oven full of eggplant parmesan? Such was the dilemma, sort of, of an Israeli landlord who received a text message from a couple who seemed to want to rent a house from him. We want the house, they texted, which is a fairly uh, unambiguous uh, statement, and followed up with a bunch of emojis that included dancing girls, champagne, and a squirrel. That's a little less clear, but it uh, proved to be their undoing when they subsequently ghosted the landlord without warning, not even the silly ghost emoji. We've all dealt with flaky people whose non-commitment translates, translated into a huge pain in the butt on our end. Uh, and in the landlord's case, it meant he took down his ad. Oh, wow. He took down his ad, delayed his search for a tenant, who, would, who could perform the bare minimum courtesy of texting back. That meant the flaky couple was legally on the hook for a few thousand bucks, and it was specifically the emojis, which the judge explained conveyed great optimism <laughs> and naturally led to the plaintiff's great reliance on the defendant's desire to rent his apartment, quote-unquote. And that proved it. So uh, make sure in the future that your emoji use doesn't get out of hand and you truly did cry with laughter at that gift someone sent to you. Um, If they prove you only forcefully exhaled through your nose, you're boned. God. Uh, Do you use emojis? Do I use emojis? No, I'm a grown adult. I know uh, I know adults who use emojis. No, I'm, I'm being facetious. It's it's not really my thing. 
Um, pretty much anything that I would want to communicate to someone via text message can be done with words. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I've never really been a huge fan of using them, but I, I think they're funny. I think there's so, I, sometimes I post them on my Facebook when I whenever I like an update a Facebook thing. Sure, I sometimes will throw just one or two emojis yeah. in there. Just a little, like when when uh, when when John Saxon uh, passed away, sad faces, sad faces, and crying faces. Yes, so. we have to accurately represent the sadness. Yeah, I was sad when John Saxon yeah. <laughs> passed away. I was sad again. We had three: Olivia De Havilland passed away, but four. she was one hundred and four. She was. Good for her. Yeah. You know, God love her. She And we had Regis. Regis and Peter Green. And Peter Green from uh, Fleetwood Mac. Mm-hmm. Jeez. That was a weird that was a weird one. Big cluster. Yeah. Big cluster of really talented people. Really beloved people. Yeah. But Oh, you know, man. I love so, John Saxon. <laughs> that's just the way the cookie crumbles, Nick. And that's I love him. I love him so much in Nightmare on Elm Street. As the negligent father. How's it going, baby? <laughs> what is his first line is, what do you got? Because he shows up on the first murder scene? Yeah. What do you got? <laughs> that, that movie should just be how to be how to be a bad dad starring yeah. John Saxon. <laughs> you know, Nightmare on Elm Street, the first Nightmare on Elm Street, that's a scary movie. It definitely is. Really scary. And then the second scariest in that series is New Nightmare. New Nightmare is really scary, too. Well, that first one's really just kind of like the fear of being a latchkey kid and not having your yeah. not having your parents pay attention to it's you. A, it's a, it was a genius move on Craven's part to... The, the basic idea is you're, you're afraid to go to sleep. That's genius. You know what I mean? And the simplest of terms. And, um, and it created an iconic, an iconic slasher, man. Plus, they killed Johnny Depp. Yeah, that was big cool. time with a fountain of blood coming up out of the yeah. out of the, out of the bed. Which I always I, I I love. He I think he gets one of the best in the whole series. If we're talking about those kills, but I'm always really confused because, like, he's laying in bed listening to his stereo or listening to his Walkman or something while the TV is on. He has all the lights in his room on. I was like, honestly, he deserved it. He's wasting energy. <laughs> I, I don't like that I have to say attitude. my favorite my favorite kill in the entire series is the girl in the Roach Motel. Oh yeah. The girl turns into a cockroach. I can't remember what part that was. I think it was four. The Roach Motel, that's my favorite kill. And there's a lot of quality kills in those movies. TV. Welcome to prime time. I love that. Smash in the T V set. <laughs> uh how about this one? Here's another real quick lawsuit thing. In May of 2003, Stephen Joseph of San Francisco sued Kraft Foods for putting trans fat into their Oreo cookies. Joseph wanted an injunction to order Kraft to stop selling Oreos to children. Once the media caught wind of Joseph's lawsuit, the media blitz came too much for him to handle, and he decided to drop the suit. For putting trans fat. Well, I mean, come on. They're Oreos. Yeah, what do you think? You're supposed to be healthy? Yeah, they're not good for you, man. Just don't eat the whole sleeve. Yeah. That's what I don't get sometimes. It's like, yeah, obviously I want the food that is available to us to be healthy. I want to be able to get healthy food. Yeah. But don't be surprised when, you know. There's something may- not healthy about an Oreo. Yeah. It's it's literally designed to be a sweet. It's not going to be great for you, but only if you eat them in ridiculous quantities. 
pump the brakes on the Oreos. Yeah. Just have one Oreo. Oh, it's if hard it, to have one. If they if they wanted to take out double stuff Oreos, I'd hear it because that's just too tempting. You can't put that out there. Yeah. I'm glad they exist, but if someone said we can't we shouldn't have double stuff Oreos cuz that's too much Oreo. I think too much cream. Fair. Too much cream. Or whatever the hell that is. Is the Oreo the cookie or is it the whole thing? I don't know. I don't know. That's a good question. Next time on Unsolved Mysteries. Yeah, we'll do that. <laughs> All right. Uh, we got words that have different meanings in the U.S. and the U.K. to talk about, uh, and that we'll do that after the news. Right. Hello. Nick DeGilio here on 720 WGN, live in the Skyline studio, here until uh, 4 o'clock. It's Monday morning, so that means my dad's going to tell a joke, because it's a jokey, jokey, jokey time. He'll do that in a little bit, as he does every Monday morning. 312-981-7200 is the phone number. That's the Team Hockberg phone line right there. 312-981-7200. So, um... We're going to talk a little bit about words that have very different meanings in American and British English. Um, so, Tom, you've spent time in the UK. That I have. Did you adjust your language? Did I adjust my language? A little bit. You have to You have to go with a little bit of the jargon, but I'm a little bit biased in that because I have family members uh, that live, on the, live uh, across the pond. But uh, they they do <laughs> they think it they do think it's funny that sometimes when me or my brothers are there we do pick up a little bit or re- yeah. continue using some of the like local slang. Well, you can't help but pick it up because that's that's yeah. how that's how they talk over there. Yeah, and I guess I got more of a pass for it when my dad was uh, still alive because he would use that language in and around the house. Sure, um, one of his favorites was Egypt. Oh yeah. E E J I T which means idiot. Yeah, as as you might imagine. Uh a fun a fun one from Scotland is is Ken as dia ken this. Dia ken this man. What is that? It's short for reckon. To know, to reckon some Oh, do you reckon what do you reckon? So Ken? Yeah, do you ken him? I've never heard it's, that before. It says do you know? Yeah. That's very specifically Scottish. I've never heard that before. Yeah. No, that's classic. And then there's always the little differences, like crisps and chips. Yeah. Biscuits, cookies. Even Mm -hmm. uh, when you say flapjacks, there's like a flapjack is different in the UK. It's not like a pancake. We'd call a, you know, nickname for pancakes here is flapjacks, right? Right, yeah. But I guess I, I was once over there and they were like, oh, yeah, we're making flapjacks for breakfast. And it was... Nothing, nothing like a pancake. So I don't know, man. What is it? If I, I barely remember, let me let me see if I can find a good, like a flapjack. Yeah, it's yeah. more like an oat bar. It's like kind of like an oat bar. Yeah. Oh, that's a flapjack. Yeah, they call it a flapjack. That's a little confusing. <laughs> you can t- say that again. Flapjacks. Mm-hmm. 
Do you say flapjacks for for pancakes? Yeah. Not usually. I usually just say pancakes. But maybe if I'm headed into a diner, it's like, yeah, give me a give me a short stack of flapjacks and a cup of coffee. Flapjacks. I wonder where that came from. Well, how did that how did that turn out to be a way to describe a breakfast item? You know? Just one day somebody said, "Yeah. Let's get some flapjacks." <laughs> um So which side of the pond did you grow up on? Have you interpreted the uh, any sentences that, that reveal the answer? Unless you're from Canada, where the words sometimes have both meanings, leading to double misunderstandings. According to the intranets, it was George Bernard Shaw who said, quote, the United States and Great Britain are two countries separated by a common language. Yeah. Um, English connects and often too often divides the U.S. and the U.K., and here are some culprits that cause that confusion. All right, the first word is homely. Homely. Um, here's what they say. Describe an, uh, an American as homely, and you may get to a punch in the nose for calling them unattractive. In the U.K., however, homely has the same positive associations for homey, plain but pleasant and evocative of home. Really? I didn't know that. And here, homie has two meanings. Homie? Yeah, homie. Like your house, if your house feels particularly oh, yeah. nice, it's homie. And then, you know, there's me and my homies. Right. I, I don't know. I, I very rarely have used the word homely. It's That's a particularly... Like to describe someone as homely, that's one of those real mean. Oh, it is mean. That's, that's a real mean comment because you're trying to mask the fact that you're calling them ostensibly ugly. Yeah, but uh, trying to really sprinkle a little bit of a little bit of sugar on that turd. It's I find it to be really mean. You might as well just call someone ugly rather than yeah. No, homely, homely. is a, is a terrible word unless you're in Britain and then you're home. So. Uh, if you have any weird words that you want to jump in here with, 312-981-7200. 312-981-7200. Uh, we love talking about words and phrases and stuff like that, and we're talking about the difference between American and British English. 312-981-7200. How about rubber? Um, a rubber in the UK is an eraser commonly used to eliminate unwanted writing. A rubber in the U.S. is a condom commonly used to avoid unwanted pregnancies. So that's what they call an eraser? A rubber? It's also, uh, rubber is also boots. Your galoshes. Those are, that's also a, a phrase that people use for their galoshes. You make sure you put on your rubbers. It's raining out. Uh, let's see. How about, um, pants? It's fine for a man to wander outside in America wearing nothing but pants. In Britain, not so much. In the U.S., pants go on top of your uh, underpants or underwear. 
which are called pants in the UK. Brits wear Brits wear trousers over pants. So that's underwear, in other words. All right, more words that are weird and have different meanings, and uh, we're specifically talking about between the U.S. and the U.K., um, how uh, certain words are interpreted differently. 312-981-7200. We'd love to hear from you if you've got some words that you would like to share with us. 312-981-7200, and we'll continue after this. Right, Nick DeGilio here on 720 WGN, live in the Skyline studio here until uh, 4 o'clock. 312-981-7200 is the phone number. And uh, we are talking about uh, words that have different meanings in uh, American and English, uh, British English. Um, and uh, just words in general that uh, might have weird meanings. 312-981-7200. Say hello to Mike on WGN. Go ahead, Mike. Nick, how you doing? All right. All right. Yeah, years ago I heard that um, one word that has two different meanings is the word bomb. And when referring to a movie, here in the States, a movie bombs, it's a financial catastrophe. However, in the U.K., it's the opposite. It's considered a success. Oh, it is? That's what I heard somewhere. Yeah. yeah. I didn't know that. Did not now know Now you that. know. All right. Okay, Mike, thanks. You betcha. All right. You. I didn't know that. If a movie bombs in the U.K., it's a hit. Okay. Here's Robert on WGN. Hi, Robert. Uh, morning, Nick. When I worked at the Jewels in high school, uh, this smoking hot lady would always come in, and she would always tell me, she goes, Robert, knock me up at nine. And I went, oh, yes, I would love to. And again, knock me up at nine means completely differently in, the, in England than it does here. What does it mean? Knock me up at nine means call me at nine. Call me at nine. Knock me. What do you nine. think knock me up at nine means in the United States? Well, that means you're going to get pregnant at uh, nine. It, no, it means you're going to have a lot of fun before you get pregnant. Uh-huh. Especially when you're in high school, knock me up at nine. Woo-hoo, yes, ma'am. <laughs> uh, all right, Robert. Sometimes, every time Robert calls in, he goes off in some weird sexual thing. Well, I mean, can you re- can you really top the uh, the Coke machine? Yeah, no, you can't. You can't top the Coke machine, no. Robert, good stuff. Jeez. All right. Jumper. Mm. Um, if you're an American who read the British version of the Harry Potter series, you probably wondered why all the boys uh, so often wore jumpers. Uh, in the UK, a jumper is a sweater, not a sleeveless dress that goes over a blouse. That's a pinafore. Yeah, a jumper is a sweater, right? Yeah. Throwing a jumper. Mm-hmm. Braces. In the UK, braces hold up trousers. In the US, suspenders hold up pants, making it even more unclear. Suspenders 
in Britain hold up stockings or socks. In both places, braces also go on teeth far more often in the U.S. than the U.K. <laughs> sure, some would observe snarkily. They're not wrong, though. They are not wrong. I've, I have genetically bad teeth. Like my teeth, I had braces too. Mm-hmm. Just completely, not even, not even worth it. Yeah, they should have just left me as I am. Yeah, I had braces too. How long did you have to have them on for? A couple of years. Whew. Yeah, almost uh, something like that. Did you have the headgear? I did. Oh, nightmare! Wow. Nightmare. How does that even feel? Like, how do you go to? Do you have to take it off when you go to sleep, or is it no? Just, you got to wear it while you're just in, wear it while you're yeah, asleep. Yeah. So you've got a big metal contraption on your head. That's right. It's real pleasant. I can imagine. Yeah. <laughs> then you got the rubber bands. Yeah, I mean, I th- I thought hook I those had rubber that. bands. Hook the rubber bands on. Yeah, but I didn't. You know, the headgear. That's the real kicker. Jeez. Yeah. Yeah, there were two little like things that were sticking out of the back, mm-hmm. the very back, and that's what you attach the the headgear to. Like you slide it through these two small holes, and then you strap the thing around your neck. Finger. That sounds like a nightmare. It was a nightmare. <laughs> and this was like when I was like 16, 17 years old. Oh, no. Yeah. Yeah, see, I lucked out. I was out of braces by high school My I, uh, yeah, when I was really young. Oh, my senior photo is fantastic. Please, do you still have it? I don't know. Do your folks? My still? parents probably still have it. When we get when I get your dad on the phone, feathered hair and braces. <laughs> and if I'm not mistaken, I was wearing a clip-on tie. Oh come on! Yeah. Wow. Yep. I think I'm gonna have to ask your dad and see if he's got a copy of that. I need. I do need to see that. By the way, my dad is gonna call in to tell a joke because it's Monday and it's a jokey, jokey, jokey time. Um. All right, more words that have different meanings. Trainers. In the UK, you wear a pair of overpriced trainers on your feet when working out with your overpriced personal trainer. In the US, however, you wear overpriced sneakers during those overpriced workout sessions. I do not say sneakers. No, you say gym shoes. I say gym shoes, yeah. Gym shoes, very Chicago. It's, it's very Chicago. Gym shoes. Sometimes I'll say tennis shoes. I never grew up saying trainers. Never. My dad would call them trainers, get your trainers on, but I always call them gym shoes. Yeah, I mean, that's a Chicago. I've said gym shoes my whole life. Sometimes I'll just say chucks. Get, get those chucks on. That's what I got on right now. Actually, I have them on every day. We should see if Converse will make custom Digilios. <laughs> custom Digilios. You know, you chucks. can customize your Chucks. Right. Oh, you can go to the website and you can get different patterns and different colors and stuff like that. We should get Chucks with just your face on the side of them. I don't want that. No? No. <laughs> Nobody wants to see that in public. <laughs> yeah. When did you start wearing Chucks? I was a kid. And you just never, you just said, this is it. I, I have, here's what I have. I have three pairs of chucks at home. 
pair of docks, and a pair of dress shoes. Dress shoes are in the closet in the in in the box. <laughs> yeah. like, I'm guessing the last time you would have worn them was when you got your your uh, star. Uh, I'm trying to remember if I, yeah, I did wear them. Yes, I did. I would hope so. You're yeah. Very nice. Cause I, I remember so. my feet killing me <laughs> when I got home from the induction ceremony. Cause it was a long day. There was a party afterwards up on the sure. seventh floor and everything, a nice reception. Right. You should have just worn the chucks. Yeah, but it was, you know, I was being inducted into the walk of fame, man. WGN walk of fame. That's amazing. You know? I didn't wear a tie, though. No. Wore a dress shirt and a jacket. You know? I think that's fair. It gives you enough kind of street cred, you know? Well, people were just like, they looked at me and like, what are you? Because people, you know, people at the station know how I dress. Like, look at, I remember, Cleaned up I remember Cochran was on. And everybody was starting to fill up in uh, in the um, Pioneer Court. The Pioneer Court. People were starting to fill up because they had the outdoor grandstand out there and all the chairs set up and everything. So all of us that were being inducted were on stage, being interviewed by Steve Bertrand and Wendy Snyder. Um, and so it was starting to fill up. So I, just, I dropped into Cochran show, you know, just to say hi. And first thing, because Steve saw me through the window, and he goes, look at DeGilio. Because it's probably the first time he had ever seen me with a, you know, collared shirt and a jacket on. And no hat. I didn't have a hat either. Jimmy DeCastro was here. Uh, was there too. This was even though he had he had left he had left uh, GN by that point, but he came back for the for the, uh, the ceremony. Ceremony. Yeah. Um, and he was just like looking at me like, "Whoa, Digilio cleans up, man." Yeah, every once in a while. There you go. Every Look at you today, no beard. Yeah, I, I went clean shaven. I started to trim. You know, I started to trim my my mustache and stuff, and then, and then I was like, up. "Man, you know, you just went for the whole let thing. it all grow back." Trainers. Now, when you lived in the UK, did you refer to them as trainers? Uh, no, I was I was too young to really be picking up most of the slang, and and that's what I've never really liked. I don't know it trainers. Just, yeah, it's never stuck with me. It never stuck with me. Mo, I like tons of tons of UK slang. Didn't never really stuck with me because no one around me spoke it. I mean, that's in terms of uh, when I spent most of my time in school was yeah. here was here in the US, and so no one talked like that except for my dad. And uh, even then, I wouldn't say it back to him because it just it felt unnatural. Yeah, but I will say this: people used to call my house just to get the answering machine. Why? Because it was my dad. So they would be like. <laughs> they thought a lot of my friends thought it was cool that my dad had an accent because I would tell them my dad was Scottish and they were like, oh, okay, cool. So he, he's probably like, you know, oh, a couple generations removed. They didn't get that he literally like talked like Braveheart. Um, so they would show other people by calling my house. <laughs> And then I'd pick up and I'd say, hello. They say, Tom, hang up the phone. I'm going to call. Let it go to voicemail. I'm trying to show I'm trying to show them your dad's accent. Super cool. I was like, okay. That's a, it, it, these people never heard a Scottish accent before in their lives? What's well, this one was real. It wasn't Sean Connery, you know? It was, it, it was, it was like someone that they could know. It was someone's was it, dad. Was his, was his accent similar to, to Craigie Ferg's? 
Uh, yes, not as not as thick. Okay. A little bit, a little bit more tempered, especially because he'd been living in the states for a while. But I'd say closest to Craigie Ferg. Yeah, he's not like one of those guys from the Highlands where you can't even right, understand yeah, a word right. he's saying. <laughs> and for some reason, everybody's name is Jim. They just call you Jim for some reason. But uh, yeah, he had a, it's it's very understandable. What's accent. really what's really crazy is that there are you know there are movies that have been made in the UK mm-hmm. where you know I think I think it's Ken Loach, Ken Loach, the director Ken Loach. They have subtitles. They have subtitles, even though they're speaking English, because the accents are so, so thick that they had the uh, subtitles. The thing, the weird thing is, um, I've never had a hard time understanding people with thick accents, especially from the UK. Yeah. Some folks, you just got an ear for it. I can't, it doesn't even, you know, people are like, what is this person, t- what is he saying? And I'm like, yeah. um, I understand every word that this person is saying. Yeah. My girlfriend has told me that when I've had family come visit, like she's met my, my one of my cousins, my first cousin, Mark, and she's told me that when he speaks to her, she has to be looking directly at him, yeah. like reading his lips to make sure that she knows what he's saying yeah. because it's just so foreign to her. Yeah. And again... He's speaking English. No, I know. It's a very I know, strange I know, I know. version. I, I, you know, in all the years that I've been reviewing movies here at the station, whenever there is a thick-accented movie, I warn people because people complain. They're like, I can't understand what I can't understand what these people are saying. But it doesn't. I mean, it it never. I've never had difficulty understanding. You know, especially thick accents from the UK. Never. So we might have to do a challenge. I might. Have to it's, challenge it might. That. It might be because I was such a. You know, I loved British stuff when I was a kid. You know, Python, Peter Cushing, all that stuff. So maybe my ear, early on, my ear got adjusted to it. So even the thickest British accent or Scottish accent, nothing. I can I can understand it. Three one two nine eight one seven two hundred is the phone number. If you would like to uh, join us, we are talking about words. That have uh, different me- m- meanings in America and uh, Britain. So uh, and sometimes it's get a little confusing. 312-981-7200 is the phone number. And also coming up, my dad's going to call in. It's Monday morning, so that means he's going to call in and tell a joke. You can't start off the Monday morning work week without a joke from my dad. And he's going to do that coming up in just a little bit. All right, stick with us. We're going to get back to these weird uh, different meanings for American and British English. 312-981-7200. Hi. Hi. Nick DeGilio here on 720 WGN, live in the Skyline Studio, 18 stories above beautiful downtown Chicago, here until 4 o'clock as we are every weekday morning, 11 p.m. to 4 a.m. After 4 o'clock, we head over to the TV side, Bradley Place, for uh, the early morning Channel 9 news, and then the great Bob Surratt at 5 o'clock for your morning drive. 312-981-7200 is the phone number. My dad's going to call in and tell a joke in just a little bit. Monday morning, always get a joke from my dad. 
312-981-7200 if you want to join us. We're talking about uh, some interesting words that have different uh, meanings uh, in uh, America and Britain. So uh, we were just talking about trainers, which are gym shoes, essentially. And gym shoes is, is, a, is a local Chicago thing. Because we were talking about this before. Some people say sneakers, tennis shoes. But it's gym shoes in Chicago. It is, unequivocally. Yeah. And I like those, I like those, um, the differences even regionally. You know, it's fun to talk about these kind of things. We love talking about phrases and language and stuff like that on the show. All right, how about trolley? Trolley. In the U.S., a trolley is an electric vehicle that runs along metal tracks in the road which is called a tram in the UK. In the UK, groceries go in a trolley, which is the US equivalent of a shopping cart. To add even more confusion, Canadians yet throw another word in the mix, buggy, for shopping cart or trolley. I've heard people describe it as a buggy. Yeah. You know? Yeah, tro- but definitely... Because you hear you call it a shopping cart instead of a shopping trolley. Yeah, shopping cart. That's the most common one. But I've heard mm. I've heard buggy. Uh, buggy. I've heard buggy. buggy. I mean, I was you know I worked at Jewel for a long time. Uh, let me let me ask you something. What do you call what do you call uh, that you know that thing that you push babies in? That thing that you push babies in? Yeah, like you put them in a put them in the, uh, uh, this thing and you you know it's got wheels and you push them in it. Um, geez, why am I blanking on it? Um, not a buggy. Probably call it a stroller, yeah? Stroller, right. Yeah, I grew up always calling it a pram. A pram? Yeah, a pram. What does that mean? So it's, so you push a baby and you put him in the pram. P-R-A-M? Yeah, P-R-A-M. A pram? Yeah, that's what it's called, it's a pram. Where? <laughs> in the UK, that's what we're talking about. You put the baby in a pram. In a pram. Literally a pram. A four-wheeled carriage for a baby pushed by a person on foot. Pram. Where where does that come from? You know, I don't actually know. A pram. Well, that's just weird. All right. Uh, okay, plaster. In Britain, a plaster goes over a child's skinned knee or other boo-boo, while in the United States, it's called a bandage or trademarked Band-Aid. Also in the UK, a broken arm goes in plaster, while in the US, a broken arm goes into a cast. In both countries, plaster is used to cover holes and in, uh, to cover holes in walls. I do remember once I was across and I saw a guy driving his van around, clearly ran a a, a company that, you know, sold and, and did plastered. And on the side, it just said, get plastered, call, like, call, call Allen's plastering service or something like that. Uh, yeah, well, that's, I mean, that's another, how many, if we ever talked about this in the year, how many different words are there? To describe drunk. Well, my favorite is the uh, Cockney slang, Brahms and List. What does that mean? 
It, well, everything it's uh, it's it's always a rhyming. So if you're Brahms and List, you're pished. You're drunk. Oh, I see. Yeah, I mean there are so many so many different phrases for 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 drunk. But yeah, uh, so plaster goes on a skin knee in Britain. Um, a biscuit. Biscuit. Now this is this is a this is a, a pretty big one. Children in the UK are excited to get biscuits because the sweet baked goods are cookies. Children in the U.S. are slightly less enthusiastic about biscuits, which are bread-like baked goods served at tea time with grandma. <laughs> I like the fact that um, cookies are called biscuits in the U.K. I think that's charming. I really do. Uh, here's Jean on WGN. Hi, Jean. Hi, Nick. How are you today? I know you're good. You always sound good. Um, I think pram is short for perambulator. Perambulator. Yes. <laughs> Don't ask me how to spell it, but I remember hearing that eons ago. Okay. Perambulator. And what about lift in Britain? Yeah, that's that's an elevator. Okay, I didn't know if you covered that already. Yeah, that's an elevator. Lift is an elevator. Yep. You got it. Okay. You get a, a gold star. <laughs> Thanks, Jean. Take, Take care. Okay. There's an interesting uh, possible explanation for pram. You know what? I I went and did a uh, a little search. Uh, She's right. Uh, Perambulator. One who walks or perambulates. (laughs) What? Yeah. That's where you get pram from. Perambulator. One who walks? That's the definition? I guess so, yeah. Uh... Okay. That seems a little odd, doesn't it? <laughs> Listen, man, I didn't invent the English language. Yeah. I just unfortunately speak it. <laughs> yeah, me too. I, I, I don't speak it well, but I do speak it. Here's uh, Frank on WGN. Hey, Frank. Hey, Nick. How you doing? All right. What's up? Yeah. Good. Uh, yeah, flapjack is like a it's a it's a wide pancake, but it's a, an apple pancake. Uh, sometimes mm-hmm. you can put other things in them, but that's uh, mostly a. And I've heard it referred to as such by people from the south, like truck drivers that I used to uh, wait on. Yeah, flapjack seems like a southern term. Yeah, like they come come in and say, "What do you gonna have there, Louis?" Ah, yeah. uh, give me an order flapjack and some sausage. Yeah, you know, right. yeah, 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 yeah. And then the, uh, the English uh, terminology for uh, two weeks is a fortnight. Yes, yes. And then uh, a flashlight is a torch. Right. <laughs> yeah. And it's, anyway, that's yeah. about all okay. I got to add. All right, today. Frank. Thanks, man. Hey, have a great day. All man. right. See you. How many times has flapjacks been mentioned this morning? I don't know, but it's it's getting up there with uh, moose cheese. <laughs> I've got a running tally on moose cheese, on moose cheese, on flapjack now. So we'll see uh who's going to, what's going to be inexplicably mentioned the most this week. Right now flapjack has a pretty good lead. Oh uh, yeah. All right. 312-981-7200. 
We are talking about uh, words that have different meanings in American and British English. It's fun to talk about this kind of stuff. So if you want to join us, we would love to hear from you. 312-981-7200. I've got some uh, weather just for you. Cold front is going to move through. Um, and it's going to be, uh, we'll see some showers and thunderstorms followed by a cooler and less humid air. Um, stronger showers and thunderstorms could continue into the afternoon um, and uh, flash flood producing rainfall possible. Uh, well, let's see. The showers will clear the area by late afternoon. Uh, afternoon highs will be in the lower 80s, partly cloudy overnight. For tomorrow, high pressure approaches the plains, mostly sunny, less humid, with a slightly above normal July high of uh, the mid-80s. Uh, light easterly and uh, westerly winds. For Wednesday, mostly sunny. Uh, high in the afternoon, around eight, uh, middle 80s. Uh, cooler near the lake. Partly cloudy uh, skies overnight. For uh, Thursday, mostly sunny north. Clouds to the south. Afternoon highs in the mid-80s with cooler readings near the lake and easterly winds. For Friday, partly sunny skies in the afternoon, highs in the upper 70s to lower 80s, uh, cooler near the lake, partly cloudy skies overnight. It's currently 76 degrees at O'Hare, 76 degrees at Midway, and 76 at the lakefront. All right, we're going to break. We will continue to our, get back to our conversation about uh, words that have different meanings in America and Britain. Uh, but when we come back, my dad's going to be on the line because it's Monday. And on Monday morning, my dad calls in every Monday morning to tell a joke. And that's what's going to be happening next. My dad telling a joke right here on 720 WGN. It's time to hear something funny. Here we go with your music intro. Ah! It's a jokey, jokey, jokey time. It's a jokey, jokey, jokey time. Nick's dad tells a joke. Yeah. What'd I say? It's a jokey, jokey, jokey time. It's a jokey, jokey, jokey time. Nick's dad tells a joke. Every Monday morning, my dad tells a joke. It's Nick DeGilio here on 720 WGN. We're live in the Skyline studio. We'll get back to our conversations about words that have very different meanings between American and British. Uh, and uh, But every uh, week, my dad tells a joke. He's been telling jokes his whole life. Let's say hello to my dad. Hey, Dad. Hi, Nick. How are you? Good. Good. How's Ma? Good. All right. Every Monday, you got a joke? You got a joke now? I got a joke. Right. I'm, uh, the little boy said on my first day of school... My parents dropped me off at the wrong nursery. Yeah, I was surrounded by trees and bushes. <laughs> All right. All right, Dad. All thanks, right. buddy. All right. Bye. See you later. That was jokey, jokey, jokey time. It was a jokey, jokey, jokey time. Nick's dad told a joke. Here's uh, Pete on WGN. Hi, Pete. Hi there. Uh, one last note on preambulator. Um, break it apart. Pre and ambulator. It's for those little ones who can't ambulate yet. It's the old-fashioned turn of 1900s big-wheeled uh, baby carriage with the clamshell roof over the front end. Mm-hmm. That was that was the style. But I've got one for you. Um, it derives, it probably comes from England, but I know it, it was in, uh, in colonial England, and you still hear it now and again, a spider. Uh-huh. 
or a spider. It's some. It's it's a it's a device in the kitchen. What does it do? <clears throat> well, it essentially is a flat griddle with a handle on one side and three feet sticking down, and it was used in an open hearth fire. And you would set it down over some coals and fry your eggs on it. Wow. All right. All and right. some people in some parts of New England still call a fry pan a spider. Ah, okay. All right. Thanks, Pete. Glad to add. All right. 312-981-7200. Here's Trucker Rich. Hey, Rich. Hey, Nick. Did you guys cover the automotive side between the words? Like, Lori is a truck, right. not my ex-girlfriend from high school. Right. And, uh... The hood is a bonnet. Right. The trunk lid's a boot. And, like, the front fenders are wings. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. Those are those are very popular terms in Britain. No question and, about it. And, and, and what is it? Aluminum is, here is aluminum, but over there it's alu, aluminum. Yeah. Aluminum, yeah. Yeah. Yep. All right. You okay. guys have a good evening. Thanks, Rich. All right. Take care. Bye. Think of all the words you spell with a U. Color, honor. Oh, yeah, true. You know, my friend Scott Oaken always spells any word like that with a U. He always does the British. He always does the British. Just to be that guy? Yep. Fair enough, man. Does it all on his Facebook page and all that stuff. More power even to in Scott. Even in the plays that he wrote, he would have the U in there. <laughs> um. Table. To table a topic in the UK is to suggest it for discussion, but to table a topic in the US means to delay discussion until later. So it's the exact opposite. Table this discussion. Um, flannel. An American in flannel may be a lumberjack or a hipster wearing the warm, soft prod- uh, fabric, but to a British person, a flannel is a wath a washcloth, and not something to wear while chopping down trees or sipping single-source fair-trade coffee. (laughs) I didn't know that. A flannel is a washcloth. Did you know that? You knew that? Well, yeah, you've got UK in your blood. For better or for worse. Wow. So that's... uh, Flannel. All right. And then finally, nonplussed. In both the UK and the US, the traditional definition of nonplussed is surprised, confused, or perplexed. But in the US, the word has so often been mistakenly used to mean unfazed, unbothered, or unimpressed that its meaning has now shifted and effectively rendered the word useless. We've done that. We've done that to a lot of words, haven't we? Yeah, like literally. I can't. That it, makes me nuts. It means both itself and the opposite of itself. I, I just. It freaks me out. I, I when people do that, when they do, yeah, my literally, my head exploded. I'm like, no, it didn't, because you wouldn't have a head. It would have exploded. Do people still do that? Are there people out there who who misuse literally? Yeah, but it's less Valley Girl. You know, you know what I mean? Like, it was kind of big in the 80s, right? 80s and 90s. Well. Very Valley Girl. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, when Frank Zappa released the song Valley Girl, 
uh, with Moon Unit. She was the she she was doing it, and that, that and that, all that Valley Girl thing took off. Right, right. Valley Girl speak took off. Um, and as then, if yeah, gag and, me with a spoon, gag me with a spoon, and then the movie Valley Girl came out. Right. Um, but yeah, no, it was a big thing in the early '80s, the Valley Girl thing. Most of the time, you're going to hear that now, people saying, "Oh, that was literally the dumbest thing I've ever seen." Which is, I mean, it could be literally could the be. dumbest thing you've ever seen. It yeah. could, but they're using it for emphasis, not for actual fact. They don't know what the dumbest thing they've ever seen is. They just feel that in that moment, it yeah. is literally the dumbest thing. There's, ever there's seen. certain stuff. You know what? You know what movie I? Uh, you know what movie I love. Mm. Uh, I love Clueless. <laughs> I yeah. love that movie. I, I love that movie, and the language in that movie is hilarious. The way they talk, sure. as if. I love that movie. I just can't get over the whole thing where she kind of falls in love with her stepbrother. Even yeah, they do. Ma- not... They they make out at the end of the movie. Yeah, it's gross. But is Paul Rudd? He's worth making out, even if he is your ex stepbrother. I always thought it was a little weird too. It's super weird. You know who's great in that movie? Donald Faison. Well, yeah, everybody's great in it. But my my I, uh, Dan Hedaya as her father. Uh, I got a shovel. What is what's, what's this line? I got a shovel and uh, and a trunk, and I don't think anybody's going to miss you. <laughs> uh, yeah, good movie. All right, so there's some of these words that are different that mean uh, something different across the pond. I, I I'm, I'm I think I like plaster a lot. Where you put a plaster over a skinned knee or a, or a, or a boo boo. Whereas here it's a bandage or a Band-Aid. Yeah. So there it is. Uh, it's always fun to talk about language. 312-981-7200 if you want to uh, sneak in here. Or uh, running out of time here. But, uh, yeah. So we'll table this discussion. See see what I did there? See? <laughs> oh, man. So, uh, all right. Hey, listen, uh, coming up after uh, 4 o'clock, we go over to the uh, Bradley Place to the TV station to get our early morning news from those great people. And then um, Bob Surratt at 5 o'clock.